Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. What's the name of your show? Come to where I'm from. Come to where I'm from. Come to where I'm from. That's not a good name for a song. Yeah, I well, it was the name of my second album. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah see, it come. sounds very... <laughs> Musical. Musical, hell yeah. yeah. It's an invitation. Yep. Hello? Hello. Nice to see you. Glad to be here. Man, thank you for coming. So what is this, this place? They do shows here or something? This used to be the old Cafe Bohemia, 1955 to 1959. Wow, that's legendary. Miles played here in 1956. Wow. Uh, and um, Charlie Parker lived across the street. And he had a huge tab at the bar and he couldn't pay it off and he said if you build me a stage i'll come here and i'll play. come and play here and they built the stage and he passed away That's before it opened damn. and the scene was already created there was already a buzz and then all those albums that you see on the wall right. jazz messengers and mingus they all those were all recorded here and it was a little scene in the new york jazz wow bubble of the 50s and 60s wow. That's a legendary yeah. place, man. we got yeah. some legends going on cool <laughs> How big All is right. your rock collection T-shirt? It's Col um, it's it's, it's rock T-shirt collection. Yeah, it's from um early classic rock. Well, I hate saying classic. It's it's from the sixties, late sixties to to cut off is like Pearl Jam, Nirvana. Mm -hmm. um, Pearl era. Jam in or out? They in, they in. No, they, they in. in. They in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all that. Alice in Chains, all of yeah. that. Yeah, because you wear rock shirts a lot. I know. So people now look to see which one you're gonna wear. Yeah, I was wait. I was wondering thing, which one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is fun. Yeah, every people. Which one are you gonna hey, have on today? It's great. Where do you get them? Um, I order it from this company called Rockabilia. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they fly. They had they 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 um, they have the majority of shirts people don't have. Oh, okay. That's why I like them. Are they official from the? Bands or yes. re remakes? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's this company called Made Worn that makes. Oh, I know the guy. They make real nice ones. I know him. Ones. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. They're costly though. It's, they, like, it's very expensive. It's not. It's, it's not very cheap fashion. Expensive. Exactly. Once they know what they have, they have the ten ninety nine ones, but the, the typical shirt is like twenty four bucks. Ah. Uh -huh. And then the high end ones is like thirty two. Like it's yeah. crazy. Or even more. But I know the Made Warren guy. Yeah. He does uh, Rolling Stones, um, a bunch of people. He's going to do some Run DMC ones, too. Yeah, I think dude, he did. I, I would think they he would did. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating, like, researching you for this whole thing. And uh -huh. just, like, um, your story is so much about manifestation. It is? You, I think so. <laughs> like your imagination growing up with the comic books right. and everything like that, and then and then right. turning yourself into a superhero. Right. I had no idea it was going to work like that. I know. It's, it's incredible, though. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So do you think it's easier to manifest when you're younger, or do you think it gets harder when you're older? You no, it's it, easier when you're it's older. It's easier. Why is that? Because... You realize it's the same damn thing I was doing when I was 12. Why can't I do that when I'm 30, 40, 50, 60? Because life 
keep it's like Dictates, death of a thousand yeah. cuts you, you like lose your hope yeah you, you can't lose your faith and, right. you, and you get beat down so no and it's you gotta do it you follow other you worry about whatever people thinking you, right you worry about what happens is you start thinking something is wrong with you if you're not playing by the, those rules right they create rules for you you know what i'm saying yeah like, you know, when you're 22 years old, you can't do that. No, no there's certain things you, you know, there's certain things you're naturally not going to do anymore. Right. But if you're 22 years old, if you're 30 years old and you want to go play with your AFX cars or your Tyco train set. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to me, that's more fun than drinking for me now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? A, lo- a lot a, of the a train thing- set. No, I don't have one. Oh, okay. I kind of want one. Yeah. Well, because Dexter a... down the block had a train set, uh-huh. and he had his uh the ra- AFX cars and Tyco. Remember the race cars we used to push yeah, the little things yeah. and stuff like. Hot so wheels. he had that all of that. He had built a city. Yeah. In his base, and you see that's powerful. Dexter built a city in his basement using his train set and his Hot Wheels cars. Right. And he had the model houses and stuff like that, but he really built a city. Yeah. And he was so happy. He was a little. He was a little older than me, so he was actually got to introduce me to weed. Oh, okay. I think I was eleven or twelve. Dexter was like fifteen. Yeah. And he he was the first guy to pull a joint out. And it wasn't blunts yeah. and all of this chronic shit. It was it was marijuana, and yeah. he was always don't say it like that. It was herb with the seeds in it, and you used to use the album yeah, cover of to get the seeds <laughs> off. Of but um, you know, to answer your question, it 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 gets easier when you get older, hmm. and it see when you're little and you're doing it, you're not thinking about it. Yeah. So it is good when you're older and then you realize you can do it. It feel you. It, this feels good. Yeah. This feels great. Why haven't I been doing this? You know, earlier, so. It's hard to stay on your own side. It's hard to like travel through the, you know, the demons and get to that place where you're completely 100% on your own side. Right. Really manifesting what you want out of life. Right, and some people never get there. Some people never get there. Some people never get there. Even if they accomplish a lot. Yeah. It's a false illusion. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Or there, or there's some demon comes in and says you don't deserve it, and then they destruct it and they destroy it. They destroy yeah. it. Yeah. I remember. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just about I don't know cre- creativity and you know when I was a little kid, the only th- what happened to me was this: when I was growing, up, I went to Catholic school my whole right. life. You know what I'm saying? So I grew up in a lower middle class suburban area. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't the Bronx. Right. Of the sixties and seventies, it, it it wasn't Harlem. Like you go to Harlem now, it's nice. different. It's yeah. Harlem. It's beautiful. It's been a renaissance, <laughs> but back in the day, it was Harlem. Right. You know, Superfly and Shaft and and um, Fred Williamson and the black exploitation movies. That was my image of Harlem back then. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I was a little kid. I couldn't leave the block. Right. You know, I would have to sneak off the block, but I really couldn't. You don't leave the block and you get your ass in the house. When that street light comes on, you have your ass in the house. <laughs> so if you're a little kid that can't leave the block and you always in the house, you better have an imagination to yeah. keep you happy and sane and growing. Yeah. So for me, um, Catholic school, I was a straight A student, always on the honor roll. 
It was always, um, um, I was always the dude with the two girls <laughs> that always was on the honor roll. All, all my other friends, all the other dudes would get certificates of merit. Right. But I would always get to, it would be me, Nadine Welsh, and Deborah Hamilton. Uh-huh. And still to this day, I beat Nadine a couple of times, but I could never defeat Deborah Hamilton. <laughs> to this day, she still traumatized me. Like, I would get the A minus. Yeah. And she was always, she, she was A plus, 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 plus. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> so that was my life. But for me, the only time I saw people that related to me smart people, nerdy, awkward, trying to figure life out was in the comic books. Because mm. most of the other kids in my neighborhood, they were gangbangers, drug dealers, athletes, all of this other stuff. I didn't know how to do any of that. So when I would read the comic books, I could relate to Peter Parker. Right. You know what I'm saying? And the only time I saw smart, Queens educated, yeah, well, ex- that took exactly. it to another level. Like, that's why when I discovered when I that, that out. The, the Queens references in a lot of Run DMC stuff. Wasn't is, is me down. shouting out my neighborhood. <laughs> right. Peter Parker lives in Queens. So imagine what that did for me as a kid. You know, I related to Peter Parker. The only time I saw badass, educated, awkward, um, powerful people was the superheroes. Right. Tony Stark's. Yeah. Reed Richards, like, you know, Tony Stark. Like, I never knew I was going to become one, but I remember reading Iron Man when Tony Stark's had a drinking problem. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't even drinking. Like, but I said, he has a problem with the thing that my mother and father does on Christmas. Right. Because when it's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens, mm-hmm. mom's cooking chicken and collard greens, greens, rice and stuff. <laughs> like, I was part of that. But all of us, even Best when you were little, song ever. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So there were, for us young people, you got to enjoy all of that. But then it was always a time where you and your brother go in your room. Right. Uh, and that's when yeah. your mother and father starts doing, like, cool shit. Right. <laughs> Like, I remember, she, you, you get your ass upstairs in that room. You'll stay in that room. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? After dinner, you know, this, this and this happens about maybe 9.30. Mm-hmm. You know, in the holiday, you, all of a sudden, you and your cousins is regulated to the room. And then yeah. you, you hear Al Green and Aretha Franklin and all you this. start thing. smelling something funky. That's at least right. they, at least we, I did in my house. It was so, like, yeah, my father and mother wasn't weed guys. They but, would smoke weed. Right, and you would... Yeah, what, and is that? what is you that? You would go peak. Christmas. Yeah, they'd be like, dancing and drinking. It was like, my parents do that? Like, it was crazy. But that was a beauty in it. But when I'm reading the comic books, Tony Stark's had a problem with the thing my mother and father do on the holidays. Right. Like, you know, the drinking thing. Yeah. So I never thought years later I would have the same problem Tony Stark's got. Like, it, it was almost like everything, the only world that, related to me was in the comic books. Like mm-hmm. I saw I didn't have to go see Shaft and, and and um um Pam Greer movies and stuff like that. And you know that I w- it would always bug me out when the other kids on my block they would go to the movies by themselves and they would go see the titty movies. We call them titty movies. You know the violent titty movies. Mm-hmm. I, mother and father was having that. So imagine me, I thought that I was being deprived of something. But Stan Lee, thank you, Stan Lee. He saved you. He saved me because he did something brilliant. He put the superheroes really in New York City. Mm. So I got to experience um, the Lower East Side. I knew what Hell's Kitchen was. I knew Harlem, right, and all of that because Stan Lee gave this little kid who couldn't leave the block New York. So the comic books wasn't uh, um, 
phony to me. It was real. Mm. You know, those words make believe. Look at those words. Make the world believe it's true. That's so true. You You're in that corny make believe stuff. I used to cry. You're damn right I am. But it, it, it for that for that time it was real to me. I never knew by having the make believing I was doing was gonna be the real part of my existence. I love that make believe. I've never put that together. I, but that's, no, I just that's found that ultimate. out last year. Oh, really? From doing all the Comic Cons and talking and stuff like that, make believe is real. Yeah. I was making believe I was um Captain America by taking a tin garbage can. Right. Holding I held that up, you know, the ten ones that the garbage men threw and bent all yeah, our lives. Yeah. Though when I held that I was Captain when I held my father's work hammer, the normal hammer, mm -hmm. no, I was really Thor. When I put my favorite blanket like Linus on my neck and I was running through the house, I'm Batman and Superman. I was really Batman and I Superman. I would go like this all the time. Yes, right, right, exactly. <laughs> so making believe, pretending, pre you're pre-intending a farm or something. It's, bad, it's all in the words. It's, it's right. It's all rehearsal. Yeah. The more you do something, you practice. So for me, what happened with me was I'm reading all these comic books, and these are the only people that I can relate to. Why is that? Like, why? Why do you think you were gravitating to that? Those worlds. I mean, it's not. It's not totally atypical, right. but it is also unusual. I guess because they. They were better than the Bible and science books and people trying to explain to me how this world works. Hmm. That's interesting. So, I mean, through, you know, the X-Men was all about prejudice and race relationships. Mm -hmm. We don't like these X-Men. We don't like these black people. We don't like these Asians. Like, it was teaching me, because when, you, when you're reading something, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's the difference. The manifestation thing is when you're a kid, you're doing what you feel and it feels good. And the make-believe is not phony to you. So people are telling you, no, you're supposed to do this. You listen for a minute. But then you sneak away and you find that joy, you know, the joy in the thing. I think it was just because that it emotionally connected with me. Mm. It emotion like the emotionally like when I walk, when I look at my neighborhood when I was growing up and stuff like that, it wasn't exciting to be in the gang. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't exciting to be in the drugs and stuff. I couldn't understand why people do that. So the comic book kind of explained to me why gangbangers do what they do. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, why does this guy do? Why does Thanos want to take over the world? Why are people greedy? Why are people angry? Why are people mean? If comic books taught me, there's always something that happened to make this guy this villain. Right. Talk so now about I human can understand nature. Origin story. Human yeah. nature. Human nature, right. Exactly. Mm. In a way that, um, you know, the, the, the nuns and the priests and the Bible people couldn't tell me that. You know what I'm saying? It was, yeah. it was you know, Jesus was like a superhero. You know what I'm saying? Peter and them dudes were cussing and Ellen and stuff like that. But they don't tell you. The Bible wants to tell you you have to be this way. Mm -hmm. Okay, but why? Show You know what I'm saying? So it just resonated with me because I didn't want to be in a gang. I didn't understand drugs back then. I didn't see I didn't see power into acting bad towards somebody. Mm. So in this, when I would read the comic books, I saw these guys that were just navigating, trying to survive in this world that we live in. 
but at the same time doing what they could do to help other people. Mm-hmm. And even when I was growing up, my mother used to say, you two look too nice. If I got $8 for my allowance, I would give it away to all my friends. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I remember I used to have change. I used to, I, I used to, I, it was just a joy of helping people. Right. Know, making sure everybody was all right. Yeah. Where do you know. think you got that heart? Oh, I don't know. I guess from, uh, well, I guess it's really deep because I, lo- I love these superheroes and stuff like that. And, you know, I saw, I could relate to Spider-Man. He lived in Queens. Peter Parker, he was a student. You know what I'm saying? Um, I could relate to Tony Starks. I could relate to Reed Richards. I could relate to Batman. But then, when I was 35 years old and I found out that I was adopted, my, my partner in the comic book, Riggs, he looked at me, he said, when I, when I first was doing this comic book thing, it wasn't to do a comic book. I went up to, um, I went up to Warner Brothers Records for a music meeting. My, Eric, my manager, his brother had this artist that he was shopping for a deal. And he couldn't get a meeting because it's so different now. In my era, I could call up a records label and make an appointment like the dentist and you sit in the lobby and everybody waiting <laughs> in with the demos and you go in and out. The happy guy came out, he just got sad. The sad guy coming inside. It's not like that anymore. So <laughs> my- They don't Eric, pick up the phone now. N- never, exactly. But at first they was like, come on. They was run DMC, De La Soul. It was coming out the woodworks. Now the game is completely different, but he wanted me to help him get a meeting. I was like, man, I don't like doing that. But all right, you, you know, I'll do it for you. So I called up Warner Brothers Records. Hey, this is DMC. Can I meet with somebody? I have an artist I want to shop. Um, I want to, you know, I'm looking for a deal for this artist. Huh? DMC, run DMC down. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Hold on. <laughs> so we're thinking, yo, you're going to get a meeting next week, next Monday, whatever, whatever. Because you know, mm-hmm. he would have never got a meeting. Right. Yo, you can come up right now. Right. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I woke up to, so you know, it's the whole thing. You walk up to, and then the whole, oh, shit, that's really him. Yo, it's DMC, you know, whatever. So I go in, and they said, you want to meet with Riggs Morales? So at the time, I didn't know who Riggs Morales Riggs was. Riggs Morales? What a name. Yeah, Riggs Morales was Eminem's A&R wow. for the rise of the great Shady Records empire. Wow. So he was there doing the whole rise that's of that kingdom. So now he's an executive up Big at guy. Warner Brothers Records. So... I go in and I sit down with Riggs and he's looking at me like this and he just says, yo, I'm usually very professional. I never fan out. And then he uses these words. But DMC, you was like my superhero, Mm. man. The way you sounded, the way you looked, the way you dressed, everything about you. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, you know, thank you. So he said, I'll never get, I don't want to interview, but I got to ask you this question. What was it like when you was a little kid? And I was like, well, um, I went to Catholic school my whole life. All I did was recollect and draw comic books. Comic books? I was like, yeah, comic books. Comic books? Yeah, comic books. We sat there for three hours and we talked about comic books. We didn't talk about no music. That's funny. So, you know, we was thinking we had the um, hip-hop thing in common. No, before that, I've been growing up in Queens. He's growing up in a little Latino Puerto Rican kid in the Bronx. Yeah. Doing the same things. Of all the things to ask you about, it's so interesting that he zeroed in on what was it like growing up. Like that's, that's crazy. It's kind of wild. Yeah, that's crazy. And he had told me, I met you before, and I met Jam J- Master J before, and you was always so nice to me. Yeah. But you probably don't remember, <laughs> but I'll never forget how people say, don't meet your heroes, because they're this. He said, no, I met you, and I met Jam Master J, and you were so nice to me. And then he was like, 
he just heard everything that I told you, a Marvel comic book, Stanley, I collected, I drew, that's all I did as a kid with her. Mm-hmm. He said, D, you should make a comic book. I said, nope, you ain't gonna get me in trouble. And he said, why not? Because I don't want to be another rapper thinking just because I had hit records, I could do everything. Because mm-hmm. rappers have a habit of, you know, I don't want to disrespect the comic book culture. You know what I'm saying? Because it's sacred. Mm. It's a way a lot. Us geeks and nerds, we take stuff seriously. So I don't want to offend none of my fellow geeks and nerds. You know, my comic book love is my secret along with your, you know what I'm saying? It's not secret. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're more powerful than the world thinks and it's better to stay undercover than be exposed or whatever. But he said, yo, D, you're not doing the comic book as the celebrity rapper dude doing another business. He said, you're doing this comic book as a little kid who grew up loving comic books. Yeah. And when he put it like that, I was like, oh, okay. As long as we do it as a tribute and a celebration to what made comics great. So it's funny. He goes, what would you have done if you never was a member of Run DMC? It's first thing Griggs asked him. Huh? <laughs> what do you mean? He said, what would you be doing if you were? I don't know. Like. I, I didn't never want to be in show business. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And and this all makes sense because it all comes together. I never wanted to be in show business. When 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 hip-hop came over the bridge from the Bronx, just like Riggs said, yo, D, you was my superhero. Uh, Grandmaster Kaz and Melly Mel and, and um, Cool Modi and all the real pioneers of hip-hop, which is everybody before Rapper's Delight. I love Cool Modi. Cool Modi's amazing. I go to work. I go to work. <laughs> like cool a It's Just the <laughs> yeah. name. Yeah, it's, so, it's amazing. So those guys were um, like our super du- du- DJs, MCs, breakdancers, and a graffiti artist were like our superheroes. They literally took the comic books and it jumped off the page from mm-hmm. the DJ, the sound of the music, the MCs and their persona, and then the break dances spinning and all of that, and the graffiti writers painting. It was like the comic books, it was it was visual. Came to life. It was right. So all of that was just an inspiration. So when hip hop first came, I never wanted to be the guy doing it. I was in my basement pretending I was Melly Mel. Making pretending, believe. I was making believe I was Modi. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm doing that from 12 to 18, I'm not realizing I'm getting good at this. But yeah. it still wasn't about me. Um, Run, on the other hand, he's he was rapping since he was 10 years old. As a, he was a professional rapper before rap records was made at 12 years old. Mm. He was the son of Curtis Blow. So Russell Simmons was a party, a hip hop party promoter and a manager of Curtis Blow, Jimmy Spicer. Um, He's he'd he'd, um, he he would promote parties for Grandmaster Flash, DJ Hollywood, all of the early guys. Russell. So Run saw hip hop being birthed in his living room. Wow. Run at 12 years old. The doorbell would ring. Flash would be there. Yo, Russell, here's your money. He (laughs) saw the business of hip hop in his living room for 10 years prior to Rapper's Delight dropping. Right. So Run was like, yo, you can get paid off this and be famous and have Bentleys and Rolls Royces. So that was Run's motivation. It was fun, but he had this extra thing to me. Mm. To me, when I would hear these guys that I didn't know what they looked like. Right. I, I couldn't imagine what it, I lived in Queens. I had a backyard and grass. These guys was from the Bronx and Harlem. Mm-hmm. These young boys and girls, and they, and they were just the thing that connected me to them. Even though their world was effed up, 
they was always saying stuff like, go to school and you'll be good and don't be in a gang. Like hip hop, even though it was the gangbangers and drug dealers making these records, they never positive. promoted right. Yeah. So I could relate to that. I was like, wow, it's got people in this world that think like me. So Riggs had asked me, D, what would you be doing if you never got into hip hop? No, I was a good student. When I graduated from Rice High School, I sent out resumes and St. John's accepted me. So I went to school because I was able to go to school. But you got to understand where it was coming from. When I got the acceptance to St. John's, my mother and father wasn't even home yet. They were still at work. So I didn't go to the phone, the rotary phone. <laughs> hey, Ma, can I speak to Mrs. McDaniels? Hold on, because she worked at Haven Manor, a health-related hospital facility. Oh, okay. So you would call, Ma, I got in trouble. You know, Ma, there's no dinner. So I didn't go. <laughs> My mom, they accepted me. The first thing I did when I got accepted to St. John's University was run downstairs to the basement right around about it. I'm DMC and the place to be. I'm going to St. John's University. Like nice. I was just writing wow. rhymes. <laughs> I was pretending to be Modi and Melly Mel, but I was just writing rhymes because it gave me an opportunity to tell my world who I was. Yeah. The rhymes was for me to talk about. My name is Easy D. My name is Daryl. It's easy, easy to me to MC. So I would write the rhyme. And then I would put on the instrumental of Modi's on a message, right. and I'd say my rhymes and pretending that it was them. So when Riggs asked me that, I was like, I don't know. And I, just, I said it was about five minutes of silence. Riggs, I was a good student. I probably would be a teacher. That's it. That's It's going to be an alternate universe. You're going to be a teacher. You actually graduate from St. John's. You don't meet Run. You don't meet Jay. You're not a rapper. You graduate from St. John's and you become a teacher and you discover that you're a teacher with superpowers. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing because this is also goes into like alternate realities, alternate multiverse yeah, it's, type of right, things. It's like, you. It's you. Another it's path. Darryl, but another Path. This guy Riggs is a genius. He's a really genius. Well, they have that yeah. series Shout What If Riggs. in Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> what so if. then it went, yo, you can't use Marvel, you can't use DC, you can't use Image, you can't use Valiant, you can't use Milestone. If you was to do your own comic book company, what you talking about there? We're going to create this and we're going to take it to Marvel and DC. Hell no, Riggs was, hell no. Mm. We're not doing that. We're going to sell them out our trunk. We're hip hop. Right. We don't take your idea to Marvel and let them give you peanuts and own yeah. it. So you do your hip hop, D. Oh, I, I kind of forgot about that. Well, I can't use Marvel. And then it just came to me. DMC was something that I could use to tell who I am to the world since I was that little kid sitting in my bedroom pretending I was something great. And Marvel Comics taught me something about life. Not only did the, not only every time I opened up a Marvel comic book, it was a geography lesson about the city that I lived in that I couldn't go actually see. When I would open up Marvel Comics, I saw the Empire State Building, 42nd Street, Hell's Kitchen, whatever, whatever. But Marvel, Stan Lee, rest in peace, he taught me something that was valuable to me in my life. Now, me being a good student, the only thing about being a good student is like, you know, I see Gary Vee and all these guys mm. and all of these entrepreneurs. School is fucked up. But 
there are certain things in school that will be useful to you later on. So it's just good to pay attention. Mm -hmm. You know, kids always tell me, DM, Mr. <laughs> Mr. DMC, why do I have to learn this algebra comes um this this algebra problem? I will never see this again. And I always call you a very observant young man or young lady, but it's not about you're right. You're never gonna see the problem again. But solving problems is something you're gonna do for the rest of your life. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about it like that. So Stanley taught me this. In this world that I was living, I'm looking at Peter Parker's um, Iron Man and even Superman, you know, awkward with girls and love and all of that stuff and trying to figure out the world, but then they always rise to the occasion to save the day, not only for other people, but for themselves. That was me as a little kid. Mm. But Stanley told me, in life, young man, Define yourself with an adjective that's powerful, wow. productive, <laughs> yeah. and, and um, prosperous, and then put your name after it. For instance, if I say the amazing, Spider-Man. If I say the incredible, <laughs> spectacular. If I say the in invincible, Iron Man, the mm. mighty Thor. So now in this hip hop realm, Daryl McDaniel's DMC was the initials of my name. So when mild-mannered Catholic school kid from Queens, Daryl McDaniel's gets on the microphone, He's no longer Daryl McDaniels on that mic. He transforms into the DMC devastating mic controller. Mm. But it don't stop there. Your weakness, your weakness, anybody going through self-esteem issues and anxiety and this and that, your, this is cliche, your weakness is actually your power to mm. shut everybody up. When I was growing up, yeah. I got contacts in now, I still wear my glasses. My whole life was, hey, four eyes because you wore glasses. Right. Hey, binoculars, hey, telescope, could you see this? Smack me upside my head, they would hide my glasses. You know, the bullies would hide the glasses. You know, the mean bully one time took my little glasses case from Cohen Optical when it first came in and stepped on it. Damn. And I just picked him up and walked home crying, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, he was into, he was, he was part of the prayers to God Along with my mother, this is mean too, but this little kid's when my mother wouldn't let me go outside. Mommy, mommy, can I just stay out for an extra hour? Nathan and, 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 and Jocko and everybody, no! Get your ass up in that room. <laughs> you go in your room, this is like when you're eight or nine years old, you go in your room and you say, God, I'm coming to you, please kill my mother. Let me get hit by a truck. <laughs> so the bully, um, what was his name, Charlie. His, mm. na his name went on that list. But when I got into hip-hop, I remember the dudes that used to tease me, hey, four is this and that. So when I got into hip-hop, the first thing I said with confidence and power, D's for doing it all of the time. M's for the rhymes that are all mine. C is for cool, cool as can be. And Rum would say, why you wear those glasses? So I can see. <laughs> I ain't wearing them to be cool. I ain't wearing them to be fat. I'm letting you know I wear these glasses because I see and I'm proud of it. Mm. All of a sudden, the whole world is like, yo. They became iconic. People that didn't even want to wear glasses want to wear those yeah, glasses. Yeah, they now. look see, great. that's the problem. Yeah. I want people to understand. So it was yeah, just it's like Joseph Campbell says, where you stumble, that's where your pot of gold is buried. Exactly. The, the mythology. Exactly. Uh, uh, the Alchemist book. Uh-huh. I read that book and, read it and it was always right under the thing. It's always right in you. Yeah. So all of the DMC thing that devastated my controller during my schools, D for doing it all of the time, it always worked. So it came to me. I said, oh, I don't have to be, it doesn't have to be intergalactic comic books. 
I'm going to call it DMC. What do you mean? Daryl makes comics. Great. That's what I'm yeah. So it, it's the, that's why I said it gets easier as you get older. Yeah. I love the story that the fact that this whole thing came to be was because you were trying to be of service to somebody else, too. Like it had, that, that's like interesting. Did, did he sign the other guy or did you guys just? No, the other guy was pissed. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. Yeah. After that day, he was never mentioned again. Because <laughs> now Griggs is saying, we're going to do this comic book. It's going to be you and, and this and that. But it's, it's, it's just that thing where, and you see, the other thing, this is too, it's like I said earlier, the other thing, the thing that made Run DMC so dominant and powerful mm. was that our we had a res, we knew we had a responsibility to carry on the sincerity, the heartbeat, the lifeblood, and the purpose and intent of hip hop in the midst of all the change because we're now in this show business thing. And what I mean by that is to anybody listening, anything that is culturally relevant to a people or a nation will get diluted, polluted, and destroyed once it's commercialized. Mm. Now commercialization isn't a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if the people who that thing was created by and for with the purpose allow it to get lost. Mm. So when we was coming in, we always remembered what these dudes was doing before Rapper's Delight made, and we always remember what they were doing when these records was made. You know, there, there's a responsibility that comes from Kumo D, who battled Busy B. Kumo D was like, our Jay-Z and Eminem, like dude you don't want to mess with. You know what I'm saying? Right. But in the midst of you fearing Kumo D for his mighty mic killing skills, he would always do stuff like, you know, on those records, the thing that changed and inspired me and said, yo, this is just deeper than show business. The first rappers, all these first MCs and rappers and DJs ha had no one to look up to because they were the first. So when they came into organized show business, the commercialization of their art and their creativity, it got to the point where we need to be this to fit in. I wasn't coming from that mind state because I realized if I just be who I am, I'm going to fit in anyway. But it was a gradual learning for me. How did so, you realize that? That's a deep thing to realize. Well, well. The first rappers, when they got into showbiz, like if you if you look at Mel and Modi before Rappers Delight and, and before videos and record deals, they wore Adidas. The mm. young boys and girls in New York City wore Adidas and Pumas and Adidas shirts and gazelles and all of that. So when when they got into show business, their their idols were Parliament Funkadelic, um, 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 Rick James and the Rolling Stones and all the hair metal bands. Mm. So now they're in the show business thing. So Flash and Melly Mel, when you look at Flash and them, they look like a rock group. Mm. When you look at Africa Bambata, they look exactly like Parliament Funkadelic because that's where they're idols. When me and Run, we're coming from the generation after them where they were our idols. So when we came to do it, Russell was always like, you need stage attire. We was like, yeah, we do, but we ain't wearing that. So by me putting on my Adidas, right. by me coming coming as you are. Yeah, come as you are. Like Nevada, by yeah. us coming as you are, the audience, especially when we got on MTV, the the, the, the people in and the, 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 the spectators and the audience, they didn't see celebrity. Yeah. They saw themselves. As great as me running Jay was, when you saw me running Jay, you 
I know that guy, Darrell, with the glasses yeah. who doesn't. I, I talk a lot now because I had 35 years of doing it. Run was always a talkative guy. So, man, that guy Run reminds me of my uncle. Yeah, that fly guy, Jay, reminds me of my. So when when people saw Run DMC, they saw themselves. That's why we was able to give birth to Travis Barker. That's why we was give birth to everybody in hip hop says when we public enemy. But they knew, oh, we don't have to follow. We don't have to dress like running them. Yeah. They wearing it to, we know what they're doing now. Chuck and Flav could, Flav could just come as flavor. But here's where it came from to answer your question. Even though we were pretending and emulating and making believe we were these rock bands and these folk artists and we everybody wanted to be every hip hop was based on groups because most of these groups was trying to be the four tops um the temptations yeah. and the ojs three treacherous three was the ojs of hip hop mm. the furious five was the um was 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 the temptations and uh, um cold crush four for instance was the four tops so that's why they had dance routines and what was run all DMC? of that run dmc was all of them before Run DMC was those little boys and girls in the park. Mm. You know, even though we made our first records at 17 and 18, our success because we was we was doing what we was doing in our bedrooms at 12, 13, 14, and 15. Yeah. So it might be old to you to us, but to the world, what is this? This is brand new. But there was a responsibility in the midst of all your dynamic presentations, not only what we learned from um 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 sampling see it was different when we sampled these artists records you had an album cover there was, that meant there was information you could read liner notes you know there was always something to tell you who bob dylan was who jo john lennon slept naked in a bed to prefer pro you know protest the war you know uh neil young did a record called ohio talking about the shooting at Kent um, University. 10 soldiers, and that's a rap record. Mm. 10 soldiers in Nixon's, Nixon's coming. coming. We're finally on our mm. own. That's like he was mm. rapping. So we knew, okay, we're going to make our fun records to talk about sex and our sneakers and all that. But now we have to make a record that's going to talk to our audience. Yeah. So everybody we said, all the, all, the, all the rock guys that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that we stole music from, <laughs> which allowed us to be now considered worthy enough to be in the Rock and Roll Hall which of Fame. Which is wild. They didn't just <clears throat> give us good music, they gave us good examples. Yeah. John Fogarty, um, the folks, the rock guys, <clears throat> the rock artists, the classic rock artists, so-called classic rock artists, and the folk artists like Dylan and Jolie Mitchell, they always sung songs that related to the audience. Yeah. So. Us as hip me, well, it was partly me. Me being a kid that grew up on 70s rock radio. Well, because when, when Run put the group together, Run and Russell was just straight hip hop. Yeah. It was just hip, you know, hip hop to hip. Yeah, tell you, clap your hands, stop your feet. My name is this and that. When I came in, I was like, yo, why ain't nobody rhyming over rock beats? Mm -hmm. um, why ain't nobody, you know, everybody was saying the same thing until Run DMC came along. And what I mean by that, the, 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 the major records was the message. The message is the greatest rap song ever mm -hmm. because broken glass everywhere. It's like a jungle sometimes and don't push me. Mm. Jay-Z, Run, Eminem, Chuck D, none of us came with it's like a jungle sometimes. That's and that so wasn't just the young people. That's how the world felt at the time, but nobody was saying that. So when Run DMC came along, we came, even if he was a white kid in the city, or if he was a white kid who lived in Connecticut who went to Yale, 
You knew what the breakdancers and the graffiti artists and you knew your brother's black friend. And any of it, if you didn't know that, even if you were so far away from it, if you was in the service or if you was in college, you always had a friend from New York bringing those early tapes. Like I talked to so many people. Yeah, man, when I was in the service, my black friend from New York City would bring these tapes. And then Rappers Delight came out. And then I started liking it. I went back to my home in Kentucky when everybody was listening to um, 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 Black Sabbath and stuff like that. It was like, what the hell are you listening to there? But it wasn't made cool until Run DMC came with Rockbox. Mm. The first rock rap record isn't Walk This Way. It's a tongue twister. The yeah. first rock the first rock <laughs> rap record is Rockbox, rock which was the first rap video on MTV. On MTV. Was, was that it, the one with the Hall of Fame? Dude. That's the second one. Then let oh. you in. Oh, that no. was King of Rock. King, King of Rock, rock right. Yeah, right. That's so, crazy because that was before the Hall of Fame was invented. See, see, that's see, more manifestation all... shit. Right. Scary. No, that's, in that's, 2009. It's, cra it's crazy. Right. So to, to sum up, <laughs> I can go on that forever, but yeah. to sum it up, everything that we was doing was stuff that was already in existence that worked in that way was, but nobody else was doing it. They wasn't manifest. They wasn't. Everybody has has a goal to be something not knowing that they are already that and sometimes when you Wait, do you the just said something, something deep is yeah it, is it, everybody's what everybody has the ability to be something already without trying to be that but right. a lot of times when you try to be that you never become what you are yeah you get in the way of it you get in the way of your own self so when we came along it was like i noticed for some reason but it's so deep too. The rock rap thing was 84. 2009, when Run DMC got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm. um, the head guy, what's their head guy of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Eric? What's the name? Yeah, they called me over. D, come here. We got to tell you something. Huh? What? <laughs> you guys were prophetic. What do you mean? I didn't notice. In 1985, y'all did a video called The King of Rock getting denied entry into the Rock Hall of Fame by Larry Bud Melman from right. the David Letterman show yeah. at the front door going, you guys can't come in here. This is a rock and roll museum. So we Crazy. scream, I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. And then we go in, we pull the plug on Jerry Lee Lewis, throw the hat on the Beatles, and then take Michael Jackson's glove and all of his beautiful eloquence and stomp on it with our Adidas. Mm. They said, do you know when y'all did that video, the Rock and Hall of Fame didn't exist? That's incredible. Hold up, hold up, wait, 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 wait. Rock and hold up, the Rock and Hall of Fame been out since the 50s, since it was done. No, <laughs> oh, it didn't man. start till 86. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, um, there's a beef about, but we don't want the rappers in here. What are you right? How and pathetic that, is that? Yeah, Gene Simmons came out, yeah, and, said, and, and then you agreed with him too. Yeah, right? I, <laughs> man, but, like... but you gotta understand from from a. I, I respect Gene Simmons; he's very opinionated. But yeah. you gotta understand where I'm coming from. Now, right. Uh, 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 the reason why I agreed with Gene Simmons from, I'm not coming from an ignorant hip hop standpoint. That's taking it as disrespect. Right. I listened to what he said. He what said the rock say? and roll. He said he the rock like and roll is for be, bands. Yeah, no, I understand. But his the problem came out of that. He was a hundred percent right. And I'm gonna tell you what the guys at um the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame told me. He just said the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was created for bands of this rock and roll thing, which is true. They didn't expect us to show up and stuff like that. So all the rock bands is in there, but the problem is so that. If it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, 
what they should have did was okay but it's not right to create the soul music annex and the now you're separating us so i understand what he said the rock and roll hall of fame should have had a hip-hop department in it that's <laughs> all he was saying right you can't put me you can't put run dmc and and flash and rock him on the same level as queen composing and you know what i'm saying but you can because it is um run dmc gets a pass when when gene simmons said that the majority of people was like yeah do they really deserve to do you know let's figure this out but we always got a pass because with run dmc all of run dmc's most popular records i'm not talking about our rap beats and sucrum c's and monday all of our most powerful records are rock songs rock song yeah, yeah. mary mary it's a sample of the monkeys. Mary, man, walk this way, of course. And mm, even it's tricky. tricky. Dun, dun. All of our rock box and King of Rock. My top five, my top five songs that you can't even put me in category battles with raps because no rapper has it's tricky to rock around. No cursing on it. I ain't shooting nobody. And from generation <laughs> to generation to generation to generation, it becomes your three-year-old son, daughter's, and cousin's favorite records. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In the year 33 billion million, when the new techno music bumble rap thing is out, you throw Run DMC's tricky on, it shuts everything down. Mm. So we got that, most of it. But then the, the, um, the guy at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame said to me, D, let me just explain to you. I think the only problem is the order that they do it. Because I felt wrong going in before all of the groups that I listened to as a kid. Right. I shouldn't be in there before Deep Purple and none of these. Yeah. It'd be a, I, should be 80, I should be 80 and dead before I get in. And that's just me. But he said this to me. He said, D, um, the lady, I forgot this, the lady, second lady in charge. She said, Daryl, let me explain it to you like this. If you take a flute... Now, she didn't right. say, if you play a flute in a band, she said, if you take a flute and you're so good with this flute that you sell out the garden two nights in a row, that's some rock and roll shit. Right. Case closed. Right. So it should have been Attitude. the Hall of Fame of music. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You get in as a rock star, this and that. But Gene Simmons would say, no, no. And for me, it's that thing. He was just trying to do what I said in the beginning. Unless the participants control how they regulate shit, shit will get all discombobulated. Gene's is just trying to keep it in order. Right. Let's get all the bands and the musicians in and then acknowledge these guys that just talk over. That's what he was saying. So yeah. I agree with that. But I, I, my thing was, yeah, but I can go in because I made rock songs. The message get in because it's a, it's a rock record. It's like Fogarty. It's like what Dylan were writing all of that. So for Run DMC, without even knowing it, we came with something that was already being done. Uh, Eric Clapton loves to play with B.B. King. Right. But they don't talk about that. They just interview Eric Clapton. But Eric Clapton is smart. If you sit down with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry or, or Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and you interview them about the Rolling Stones, they're going to sit there and talk about Muddy Waters and this yeah. and that because it's not show business to them. They became the, the fucking billionaires off this. But when you speak to those bands, they, nobody sits there and says, Mick, what kind of car you drive? Right. Uh, you know, do, do we see your watch? You, you, they talk about the art form. Hip hop allowed that to get lost. So it's our fault. What do you mean? When we used to walk the carpets at MTV, they used to say, D, who styled you today? I did. Mm. Mr. Lee on Jamaica Avenue. 
You know, nobody ever asked Q-tip, Q-tip, what kind of cologne you, what kind of car? They would always say, why are you young people saying, demonstrating, and using the music that you're using? So the conversations was always more um, universal and relatable. So what I was trying to say was, I took everything that I learned from these comic books, I took all the inspiration of hearing um, Dan Ingram and Harry Harrison on 77 WABC most of my child life, playing everything from James Brown to the Doobie Brothers to Joni Mitchells to Elton John. And when it was time for me to give my presentation, it was all part of it because we are all products of pop culture. Right. Like sitting here before you, I'm not just hip hop and comic books. I'm the Brady Bunch. I'm the Adams Family. Mm -hmm. I'm Woody Woodpecker. I'm Lost in Space. I'm all of that. I'm the things that happen in the Son of Sam. So we all part of that. That's a good song. Just all that, all that, what you just said. Those lyrics right there. Um, yeah, I'm all these things. That's that's a good concept. That's a great there. song. It's a good dope one. ass beat. Will you produce it? Yeah, <laughs> I would love to. You produce the music. We'll make it and put it out. Okay, for sure. I'm into that. So, that's a good one. I think uh, Chuck D said. <clears throat> excuse me. Chuck D said Run DMC gave hip hop a good problem, like a really good product. Oh. Now it broke the mold of having to dress and talk. And uh, like, if you listen to all the early rap records, they all sound alike. Mm. When Run DMC after Run DMC, not one artist, KRS One, BC, every now because of the because we gave permission to the so-called corporations to control our music, all the fucking mumble rap sounds alike. Yeah, it's not that fault. In hip hop, you you there should never <clears throat> there should be groups that sound familiar, but it should never be the same. Yeah. So now all the music sounds the same, and because we always knew there was a responsibility, y'all, you can't fuck with rock. You can make a rock song, but that's running them stuff. The public enemy sound, that's their sound. Dre sound, that's his sound. So there were rules that we respected. Now, if 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 Run DMC was to come out now in this age. And it, it kind of happened like that. You know, when Meagles came out and was highly successful, all of the groups after Meagles sound like Meagles. Mm -hmm. So now it's just a monotony. It's an overflow. It's not that the music ain't good. Monotony creates boredom. Yeah, it just becomes not inspired. <clears throat> Which was happened to disco. See, people ask me, D, what do you think about hip-hop? It's today's disco. <clears throat> mm. The only problem is this. <clears throat> Excuse me. The only problem with hip-hop is this. When people said disco was dead they reacted to it they allowed it to die so that punk rock and hip-hop could come along but there was really nothing wrong with disco and when they threw it away another man's trash is another man's treasure mm -hmm. y'all throwing all that disco music away we're gonna take all those bass lines and those beats and loop it and put our songs on it mm. so there was always there is always an opportunity to be something and that's was the goal of hip hop. Yeah, how did you deal with becoming so successful? Like how how did that strike you? When I started paying attention to it, it ruined me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Why? In the beginning, when Run D and Jam Master J was just doing what who they when we were being who we were, everything everything J touched turned to gold. So now we in this raising hell era. Right? <clears throat> Excuse me. We got walk this way out, mm. right? We selling out, we selling out coliseums the and garden. stadiums now. To go, right, right. 
Owning Christmas every year. Owning Christmas TV. every year. And like, like, not even playing basketball, we right. get a sneaker deal. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's nuts. People are looking it's at like, what the Raisin Hell did. We're fucking touring like Van Halen. It's ridiculous money, yeah. showbiz, fortune, and fame. We have arrived. Yeah. So when we was just doing it to doing it, there was no ceiling. But now... The label and Russell and even running Jay is like, instead of just being run DMC and doing what we do, we're looking at our own success. Man, we got to sneak it in. We got to walk this way. Now we're trying to be that. I see. So before it was just being that. Right. Now we get to that point since we're trying to be that, what happened? We can't get through. Yeah. Pushing well, it goes back. back to what you're saying. Like, <clears throat> if you just allow yourself to be, you can create success with eff- like keep, effortlessly. Right. And all of a sudden, but it's people don't realize even when you can do that, you can fall off track by falling into the same pitfalls as other people. Exactly. So for us, it was like, well, for me personally, it was like I was getting hit records. I was on a chart and I was touring and getting a lot of money. Now, the people around me who are seeing the results of me, they don't know how I'm doing it. But it's working. They're just seeing, whoa, he does it in his work. So they're benefiting off the results, too. So as opposed to it was just, D, just be happy. It started, D, you need to be on the chart. You need to sell records. Right. And you need to be on the re- You need to be on MTV. Yeah. What? Now, right then and there, you lose. Right. Because now you're thinking, once you give in to that. Yeah. No, I am. I don't need, I am. And if you keep it on the great I am, you know what I'm saying? Mm. But then it became, everything out here became more important than what's in here. I think that's what happened to me. So now I can't function out here. I function in here and here. Right. But now, since he's out there, since he's out there, maybe he's right. He's seeing something that I don't, I'm not seeing it because it never existed to me. But now I'm trying to think maybe he sees something. So now I'm working and trying to give him the results that he's seeing. Like, it's so confusing for me. So I don't function out here. I function here and here. So I come outside of myself now. I left Daryl there. I'm trying to function over here to keep that working. But since I'm not comfortable out here, I need assistance. Old English. Mm -hmm. 800 more liquor. To the rescue. You know what I'm saying? Some people got weed, some people got pills or whatever. My thing was old English, 800 more liquor mm. and Bacardi and rum and coke. Now I'm, I can function in this, in this, this, um, I can function in this environment out there. Yeah. Not knowing I left the comic book inspiration yeah. in, in my Bob Dylan inspiration. I left all that out there, not knowing by doing that, I'm just started down a path to, like you said, to destroy and kill myself. Yeah. Well, you found the kryptonite. Exactly. Thinking it was my source. Yeah. But it's actually the kryptonite. So, you know, you go into, and it, it, some of those spurts remain, because after the success of Raising Hell, not, I was unstoppable. Not as an artist, as a person. Right. Wow. And every day after that, it was great. 
until 1988 when we put Tougher Than Lever out, which was a late album. We put the movie out. It was a flop. But a Tougher Than Lever movie really really wasn't a flop. It's a, it's a cult classic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about making the money. It was like, oh, Run DMC made this movie. It was a feel-good thing. But, um, you know, Tougher Than Lever didn't do have the success as Raising Hell. So immediately, everybody out here in this world, they trying to do what they do to make us an album. Then we did the Back From Hell album, and it just totally flopped. And now, years later, after therapy and rehab and all that stuff, I could look back and just say, the only way we fucked up was we stopped being Run DMC. Right. Started trying to be Run DMC. Oh, that's interesting. You know what I'm saying? We ain't make these. We never made these records that get played on the radio. They got played on the radio because it was something about the spirit and the goodness of it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So after Tougher Than Leather, we became a showbiz entity. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And for me to de- now, I'm not caring about that. I'm. Not, I like a flop. A flop means I can do it again. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no rules and regulations, but the it was uncomfortable rolling with everybody else into this. Because everybody else is reacting and responding to it, too. And that's got to be complicated. So for me to just sit here and put up with this bullshit, I got to get drunk. Right. When I should have just walked away. I remember my, my, when I went into rehab and therapy, I was in therapy and stuff like that. They said, do you have the power years ago not to fall down into the pit of fucking depression and stay there what do you say you should have got up and left and the first thing you said what they would have said to you i had to sit there and go okay if i would have tried to leave run would have tried to use you know get me to feel guilty and then jay and russell has been like yo you're gonna walk away from all this money it'll be hard to walk they away from that. it though not really because what was more enjoyable but man yeah i'm what my therapist said do you stand up and they'll be hurt they'll get over this i'm going home to read my comic books mm-hmm. <laughs> they said if you would have did that you no know, telling what would have happened the next day and people just ask me now all of this stuff that i'm doing now i hang with dave navarro every fucking day i've got sebastian bach on speed dial <laughs> tim oh, armstrong man. i go to la i live in tim armstrong house i i go out me and joan jett made a record That's- me and sammy hagar are boys now that's awesome. If I would have walked away after raising hell, I would have been putting it. It would have been my trajectory, it, but it's, it had to happen for a reason. I would have had my, um, you know, my metamorphosis from, you know, going from Soundgarden to yeah. audio to my continuation. But Dyn- all dynamic of was, musical collaboration. Yeah, is that that man, project? That's with all of those people on it. Yeah. But now let's speed back. Now I had to go through all of this stuff that I went through so that I could understand what my life is about. And I got to realize the King of Rock thing was just a setup for who and what I was really put here to do. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So now, this goes back to about 45 minutes ago. And what are you put here to do? Well, when I was sitting there with Riggs, after we got the con, we got the title, we got the idea, DMC superhero, teacher, whatever. Oh, it yeah. goes by and then he comes, I come back to his office and he's looking at me like this. He's like this. Like, I'm like, huh? He just said, right, right. And I'm looking back at him like this. And he just says this. He says, yo, D, man, this is crazy. Because he just found out that I was adopted. Uh, he said, D, you are really on some superhero shit. And that is like, some what? superhero shit. He said, shit. most superheroes are adopted. Yeah, that's true. Superman from another world got adopted. Spider- Park, they yeah. all lost their original parents. You're so right. Batman. Wow. So imagine me. So now there's this book called The Primal Wound. 
that says when we were when 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 you were given I'm with my birth mother for nine months. You're connected to this world. Yeah. Something psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, and physically happens to us when we're given. We're too little. What are you doing? I gotta go to the, so automatically you go into fight and fight mode. Mm-hmm. So the majority of us become ultra creative, we become inverted, we become obsessed. Like when I went to rehab, I went to rehab to stop drinking. I just I discovered I'm OCD. I got suppressed emotions. I was just using it. So I had all of these qualities in in common with the people that I was attracted to without knowing I was one of them. Yeah. I'm Spider-Man. I'm Bruce Ben. All of these people. It's crazy. You know what else is crazy is the fact that you got saved by that Sarah McLaughlin song and then right. to find out like – Right, that she's the, also adopted, like that. So, like you're tapping into some kind of energy. I feel like, or there's some kind of God, like reveal in that story. I think it is. No, it is. So, um, down with the king, 1993. So, okay, raising hell, toughening lever, downfall. Everybody's going through this. I'm navigating the waters because I'm drinking. I'm not drinking. Because there's something wrong with me flopping. I'm drinking because there's something wrong with me operating the way all these other people are operating instead of operating the way DMC is operating. Mm. So from 88 to 93, Run DMC will always be, yo, because of you pioneers, legend. Yeah, they say hip hop started, but you the guys, you know, we built the entertainment part of it. So we always got our love. We was respected, but we wasn't participating. So you got to remember, in 88, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, mm-hmm. KRS-One, um, Cool G Rapping, Polo, Tribe Called, Quentin Naughty. From 88 to like 93, it exploded. Buster Nita, Hip Hop, Cypress Hill. Right. Um, 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 Gangstar. Get all of that exploded. You know what I'm saying? Every, digging in the crates, fat, everything. But it was because of y'all. So we were loved and respected, but we wasn't participating. So another one of those phenomenal groups in that era, Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth. Remember, they reminisce. Pete Rock, one of the greatest producers in hip-hop. Run DMC, the OGs is coming back with this album. What? Run DMC still around? <laughs> I actually remember people saying, Run DMC still alive? <laughs> when we coming right. out in 93, because we the old, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we're not melanin. We was the bridge to the old and the new school, and that's it. Cut off is right there. So we, we call ourselves coming out with this new album after having... The biggest flop with that Back From Hell record. So Pete Rock produces the title track on an album called Down With The King. Now that's bold to be old and over and come out with an album Down With The King. Mm-hmm. And um, Pete Rock produces the title track on an album. And the album and the video shoots us back on the charts, shoots us back on the road. We get in a 90s payday now. In the 80s, we was getting the 80s payday. Uh, you know, 100, 80 grand to 100 grand, 120. Now in the 90s, these dudes is getting like 175. They're like 250, 300 now. So we got this record. We participate and it's like we, we're back. Down with the King comes out. The video comes out. We just put out a call. Um, Your, your OG's run, your OD grandfather run DMC is doing this new video. 
come and participate. All the hip hop shows. Everyone up. was on that. Easy E, Red, everybody. Crisscross on it too. Crisscross. <laughs> yep. See that? Did, did, I was like, did I see they that? They were brand new. So yeah. the new guys <laughs> running. Everybody oh, shows up. Yep. So it was a beautiful thing. I couldn't figure out they, what they were doing. Yep. Crisscross, Jermaine Dupre. See, it's the rise of this whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Jay Z and all these guys is bubbling and Pac is killing all of that. So these people show up for a video right it after was that at video. City Hall, right underneath. No, no, uh, it was at a church up uh, on. Um, it looked Hall. like it was a church up on Convent in like 150 something like. But make a long story short, right when Don went, the King came out. I woke up the next day wanting to kill myself. Hmm. I don't know why. I just would. Now you would think I'm back on the charts, this and that. We're getting there now. I also had, I figured subconsciously, it had something to do with my spirit saying, "Motherfucker." Don't forget, from 88 to 93, you was fucking participate. So it was emotions there. Yeah. So, but I didn't know what was going on. I wanted to kill myself, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, oh, okay, okay, hold up. Down with the king is out. We're Were you dealing right with now. depression before that, or no, did it just kind no. of strike? I was. See, I didn't know that until I went to therapy. Okay. I, that's why I was drinking. Yeah. I see. I was drinking a case of Old English today. That's so wild. Not, not one or two 40s. You always no, had the friend you. that drunk the most beer. Yeah. You know, 40 ounce, not yeah. 32 ounce bottles of beer. Right. The 40 ounce, I was drinking a case of that a Is day. Is that 24 of those? No. 12. It's 12, 12 okay. in a case. That's a lot. I was so alcoholic, I put a refrigerator in the back of my monster truck right. so I didn't have to stop at the grocery stores to get them. Yeah. So he said, D-Y-S. You got to pee anyway, so it's like. No, I was peeing. Every, I was pulling over to. The funny joke is to this day, it's like, to this day, somebody, I'll be talking at a middle school and a teacher who's my age would say, D, one day we was driving on Prospect on Park in Brooklyn yeah. and this big monster truck with the, with the loudest speaker pulls up, you and seven guys got out <laughs> and peed on the wall, got in and drove. I was peeing all over New York City. But I was depressed, but I didn't know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So now... Things are starting to be revealed. I didn't know what it was. So I went to my whole life. Son of Byford, brother of Al, Banner's my mom, runs my pal, Jay's my friend. This thing called hip hop comes over the bridge. We make a couple of records. We do the albums, walk this way, sneaker deals, this and that. Now it's 1993. Pete Rock got me back on the shards. I got I got the verse of the year on a Down With The King record. Taking the tours. I'm wrecking on land. I keep it hardcore because it's dope, man. These are the roughest, toughest words I ever wrote. And, and I was mad. Because um, Puffy was taking R&B singers and giving them all our hip-hop music. Mm. Remember I said it's up to us to control. and You, you know what I'm saying? Puffy started doing all these remixes. And he kind of turned. You know, it used to be hip-hop and Keith Sweat and the R&B singers. Now it's merging. And they're starting. I don't know if they was doing it on purpose to not use the rappers anymore. But they're using all our music. So I said it's not meant for a hole like a slow jam. Sucker MCs can never swing with D because of all the things that I always bring with me. Only G-O-D could be a king to me. And if the G-O-D be in me, then a king I be. Like that was yeah. Nas and everybody was Amazing. Like, oh, yeah, that, yo, that's the bad yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't eat 16 bars. It was like, yo, that's why we always love D. So I'm, I'm going through all of that. Why do I feel like I feel? So I didn't know what it was. Through the whole down with the king thing, I'm going through all these motions. And then those uncomfortable, the, the mystery, the void, I had this void in me. It became so uncomfortable. I don't want to live with this no more. So the problem with that is I didn't know I could go get help. 
I didn't know it was okay to go tell somebody. I'm feel I never felt this way before. And on top of that, I can't go to liquor or I can't go to Old English and liquor no more because let me back up. In 1991, without anybody in the world knowing, I was diagnosed with acute pancreatitis wow. from drinking a case of Old English a day. This is during the daytime, a case of Old English during the day. Then going out at night and drinking rum and coke and vodka and orange juice, you know, all those drinks mm. of the 80s and early 90s. So Coke as well, cocaine. Oh, a lot of coke. A lot, a lot of, of coke. A lot of coke. Yeah. yeah. Me and Matt. Because Cow to drink that much, you kind of almost have to also do something else. Yeah. 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 I didn't. I hated weed. Hate weed. Dude, I'm funny because I'm OCD. What I didn't like about weed, it gave you this heavy mind feeling. You know, it was cool and metal. But I always noticed that Jay and Run smoked more weed than the Rastafarians. And they would always lose shit. They would mm. lose the keys. They would That's lose true. the pad. You get true. very sloppy with Weed me. is guilty as charged with yeah, that shit. Yeah, it's just so it's, it's, carefree. It yeah. does, yeah. So I didn't like that feeling because when I was smoking, I would be like, oh shit, I left my keys on the table. Mm. But with liquor, you feel like the I'm the Hulk. Like mm -hmm. you did. It's a lie, but you feel like you could take on everything. But I couldn't go to my old English. You know why? Because I got pancreatitis. So now it's just getting to the point where so I don't want to So were you sober then? This. Yeah, I was sober. Totally sober. Yeah, wow. I was so I, I was sober. Um, I went sober in 91 for acute pancreatitis. I was in a hospital for a month and a half. I couldn't have nothing orally. Everything was given to me intravenously. Um, I remember going into the hospital and the doctor was like, where does it hurt? I said, it hurts to breathe, this and that. So he did all of these things. He said, do you drink? I remember saying, yeah. How much do you drink? How many cans? I said, I don't drink cans. Um, I drink 40 ounces. Well, one or two a day. I was like a case. He was like, admit this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> IV, yeah. nothing orally, this and that. So I had acute pancreatitis. After a month and a half, thankfully, they was like, yo, um, your pancreas was scarred, but it healed. Wow. And we have no idea why this is going on, but your liver is good. Wow. So I got two... Um, yeah, you look great. I mean, yeah, the I hard mean, living didn't didn't affect didn't you now. Didn't kill me. Yeah, and it, it was all for a reason. So he just said, "There's two things you could do for the rest of your life, son. You could drink and die, or not drink and live." So now, from '91 to '93, I wasn't drinking. So I was, I was, it was in a, I was in purgatory. Hmm. I was in purgatory. Were you going I, I to meetings? Even, no, no, I did nothing. No, none with, of that. I don't even remember. So now when the king comes back out, I wake up and I'm in this world. I'm back to where I left off at. So now all of these emotions is coming. So I didn't know what to do. I was so, it was so scary. It was so uncomfortable. My only way out to deal with this is to kill myself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I can't drink. I thought about shooting myself. I want to take the poison. Um, I want to jump. Now here's the problem with that. I remember down with the king had us opening for Naughty by Nature, had us opening for Limp Biscuit, had us opening for ZZ Top, had us opening for Marilyn Manson. And we getting like, how much we getting tomorrow tonight? 125 grand tomorrow? What? Like, but I'm, so I'm just going through the motions because I don't want Run and Jay mad at me. So okay. here again, mentally, I'm worried about what other people instead of worrying about myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize. People pleasing syndrome. I, right, yeah, exactly. That's I have exactly that same shit too. what I was doing. Yeah. So we going all around the world. We go to Russia. We play Red Square. We go to Japan, this and that. And uh, we was doing a tour in Europe. And I remember um, we did an interview. It was like in what used to be called Yugoslavia. They call it somewhere. It's, somewhere, it's named different now. 
But we was there. And we Kosovo did, and Serbia. Yeah, and all those, yeah, yeah, we was there, and they love hip hop there. They love hip hop metal, and they don't, they don't dislike. They, they they don't separate you. They just love music for what it is. But to make a long story short, I was like, this is the day that I'm going to kill myself. So we did a photo shoot on the roof, and it was in a town outside of the big city, in one of the little hotels that. Um, you got to ring the bell if you come in after 11 and the guy gets up with the, the light and the suit yeah. on and got to let you in. They still have those type of hotels in. I, I know, it's This true. is crazy. Yeah. We ring the bell, the lobby, you've been there through those, right? The light oh, and the yeah. guy comes in and lets yeah, you in your exactly. room. No radio, no TV, yeah. nothing that. But to make a long story short, I remember um, getting up on the, on the ledge and I'm like, I'm going to kill myself right now. And then... Something in my head just goes, dude, you can't kill yourself yet. You can't kill yourself. What are you talking about? What can't kill yourself yet? There's more to this, there's more to this mystery than ever. You gotta let people know who you really are. So mm. I'm fighting with myself, but here's the funny joke. The reason why I really didn't jump, I looked down and I said, damn, if I jump and don't die, this shit's gonna hurt. Yeah. So I got off all frustrated. Do you pray in a situation like that? Do you have a conscious contact with a higher power? Do you say, please help no, me? Any of no, that? you're all on your own. Wow. You're all on your own. It's, it's not like the movies. To explain it to people, the isolation and the feeling that... Now, after going to rehab and therapy, I find out everybody feels like this and they all front. The majority of people front. But I find out you are not... Everybody goes through that. It's right. just that you're ashamed to admit to yourself and everybody else that you're feeling like that. Yeah. So what happened to me was this. Um, I got these suicidal thoughts and we come back from Europe. And this was the day that pissed me off. This was the day that I'm gonna kill myself now because this is living proof that I'm not supposed to be in this world. I live in, I was living in Jersey at the time. I moved from Queens. Mm -hmm. My travel agent could only get me into JFK. Okay. So I went on the road for six weeks in Europe. I wanna get the fuck home. <laughs> Why, please, Shelly? Shelly, my joke, you gotta get me in Newark. I'm on the I'm sorry, Daryl, there's no flight. There's only one first class seat left on the th shit. So I come pissed off. Just because of JFK. Yeah. The, the, you, I don't care which most New people, York airport I oh, land dude, in. Newark is like, you got to take a train. But you got to understand. He wanted Newark. Right. Yeah, I well, wanted to. But yeah. you got to understand. What was, you what's, say there's no difference. I prefer no, JFK. I'm not saying no difference. No. I'm just saying I don't really care. That's yeah. real funny. But yeah. the little things, <laughs> little things mean a lot. Yeah. On the negative side, too. Especially when you're like beat yes. down already. Anything so this can, is fucking proof. That's just it was it. Every, what else could go wrong? Right. This was proof. I'm flying. I gotta go to JFK. It's done. So I'm gonna do it. So I get in the car. The driver's there with the sign waiting for me. I come, hey, Mr. McDaniels, how you doing? Young guy, young black dude. Cool. I'll get your bag now. I roll my own bag. So he probably thought I didn't want to give him a tip, but you could ask Eric. I don't like nobody touching my bag, which is another OCD mental health thing that I'm trying to get over. So my son even knows all the waters in the refrigerator got to face that way they all got to face <laughs> the same he'll he'll come in the refrigerator and do this he'll come and do this uh, just to mess with you and then he'll sit there and watch me move it back i'm trying to I'd deal with the that. same damn yeah. thing <laughs> so i learned in therapy it's okay yeah. learn to not be ashamed of that but make a long story short yeah. so we're leaving out of um jfk and um he's looking at me through the through, i'm in the back seat He's in the driver's seat and he's looking at me through the, and I could feel him looking at me. So every time I would look up, he would turn his head. So I think there's like two lights to get out of JFK. 
So at the second last set, I'm going to catch him now. I'm going to be looking when he looks back. So he looks up and we hit eye contact. And then just immediately, if he's a driver and you me, he just, Mr. DMC, please don't get me fired. I got to tell you this. Your music saved my life. Mm. When I was a little kid, I had the worst parents ever, this and that. I used to just sit in my room and I used to listen to the, um, the, the King of Rock and the Race of Hell, all your music. It, was, it got me through the worst times in my life, right? So he said, can I please get an autograph? <clears throat> so I go, yeah, I said, on, on top of that, I'll take a picture with you. Really? Really? Yeah, man, I got you. Please don't tell my boys because I could get fired because I ain't supposed to do that. Cool. So we're pulling out of JFK. He's open now. He goes, yo, could I turn on the radio? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. The last thing I wanted to hear was some hip hop. He turns it to Hot 97. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he turns it to Hot 97. Yeah. Now, what was deep about that at this time, too, um, what goes on internally in you will manifest itself out in its physical and outer world. For some reason, I started losing my voice. Hmm. When Down With The King came out, taking the tours, when we started touring, every day my voice would lose um, energy. Right. So by the time I was in that car, I was talking like this. Wow. And I was still going, Jay was helping me. We would use the vocals under the lyrics and we was trying to do our best. Cause my, and I felt miserable, but I said, if I don't do this, Jay and Run going to be mad at me. And I got a big responsibility. I had just had a kid. Mm. So I got to get, imagine me doing six weeks on a major tour with a hot record and no voice. Mm. But you got to do it because the check is going to keep your family alive. So imagine how I felt. So the last thing I wanted to hear was Hot 97. Yo, please turn it to any station except that one. Okay, Mr. He turns it to Light FM. And I heard this piano. And then I heard this angelic voice going, in the arms of an angel fly away spend all your time waiting for that second chance for the break that would make it okay um there's always some re what the fuck and then what killed me was in the dark cold hotel room because during the whole tour you could ask eric i would go to eric because i got i don't know what it is down with the king's getting i want to kill myself I would go to Eric, what hotel you're at? He would go, we're staying at the Hilton. I would go to the Marriott. Why? And in the next city, because oh, I was you feeling something. Um, like, denied. They didn't understand. Like It was the, your way of communicating that you weren't feeling it, maybe. No, it was me hiding it. Oh, hiding it. It was more of an isolation, which is the right. worst thing that I could have been doing. Right. Because now, when they would go to the Marriott, I'd go to the Hilton. Yeah. Were you going to the, I would stay away from them. Because I felt like I was the only person in the world feeling like that. Mm. So once I got to therapy, isolation is the worst thing that you could do. Because now my only out is to kill myself. I don't want to feel like this no Mm. more. So I hear Sarah McLaughlin and she hit that line in the dark, cold hotel. That's me. That was the only thing on the face of the earth at the time that I could identify with what was going through in me. Mm. That record made me say, D, Shit may be fucked up, but as long as something this beautiful is in existence, it's good to be alive. So I go home and I'm saying, honey, have you heard that record, Angel? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's the soundtrack of the music, um, of the Nicolas Cage, Meg Ryan movie. 
What was that movie uh-huh. where she died at the end and she got the Nicolas Cage, find the name of that. So it's the sound. I really like that record. And my wife, uh, my Christmas is coming, so my wife brought me the album for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't want to tell her why. And it's I cool like, that the guy who used who's your music saved his life. And the one that turned the, turned the song on that saved your life. It was, City the, of Angels. City of Angels. City yeah. of Angels. The Goo Goo yeah. Doll song was on that yes! soundtrack yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Iris, which was yes. huge. Yeah. Yep, exactly. That was a great I album. I was a big Sarah fan. Like, uh, before so, yeah, that. Before See, that. I did, well, Falling did. into Ecstasy. Beautiful album. Yep, that's a good leeway. So after that, I get my wife to buy me every Sarah McLachlan thing yeah. that was in existence. So, so for one whole year, all I did was listen to Sarah McLachlan. Because... Like, I was still going to the gym, too. So people would probably think I was listening to, you know, Rage Against the Machine. I'm in there listening to any arms. I'm on the elliptical, this and that. So at the end of that year, Eric, my manager, and my publicist, Tracy Miller, who's been with me since we was at Profile Records with Run DMC. So I've known Tracy was my first publicist ever, who still is my publicist now. They're like, something's going on with D. Let's keep him busy. Like, you know. Make sure you don't drink. Make sure he's good. But, you know, some so keep him busy. So my Eric gets tickets to go to Clive Davis Grammy party mm. in L.A. I curse Eric out. Fuck you. Fuck Clive Davis. Fuck all this music <laughs> bullshit. Like, I'm fuck, fuck, fuck. No, fuck you. This is bullshit. I'm staying here listening to my ceremony. I felt so good. Like, if if what happened didn't happen, I'd probably still be sitting in my room. Listen to Sarah McLaughlin. So make a long story short, we go to um, Clive. So you weren't really suicidal anymore? Or were you still struggling? No, still suicidal. Still, yeah. That was the only thing that would take it away. I see. It was like the drinking. Right. When I was drinking, I didn't want to deal with these emotions, so I would drink. So uh, when Sarah McLaughlin was on, <gasps> let me listen to that. Felt so comfortable. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I ain't even going to think. I, I didn't know what was going on. And you got to understand. The Sarah McLachlan song just made me say, fuck it, I could lose my voice. I'll never rap again. I'm good. <laughs> I was really at a point where if I could just do this every day, for the, which is kind of um, insane. What, just, just listening it, to that was enough. Perfect. I'll go to stay, eat, this and that. Decent, how you doing? Whatever. That's wild. That's huh? like a mantra. It's yeah, crazy. it's kind of like a mantra, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it's a mantra? Yeah, well, a mantra is just something that like, ho'oponopono mantra, I love you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, thank you. I listen to that a lot, and it... it puts me in a if i'm like a little bit upset or whatever and i go on a run and listen to that it gets you all right as long as you're right helps my mind yeah because if you're all right the magic happens yeah all right i've tried to tell everybody make room for inspiration to come yeah right so sarah the sarah song all it did was push all the bullshit out yeah when it went off uh, (laughs) but then i had to understand I, i gotta deal with it can't run from it so what had happened was we go to the Sarah um, we go to Clive Davis Grammy party mm-hmm. and I just tell him yo I only came here for you because mm-hmm. when he came to me he said yo D I got two tickets to Clive Davis Grammy party jokingly I said this motherfucker done sold his soul to the devil to go to Clive Davis bullshit party I mean I was mean it was bad so I said, okay, to make your ass happy, I'll go with you. I'm only staying one hour. So we get to, he's the manager, red carpet, deep. He, he on, said, they love you. We around you. People want to see you, this and that. I go, nope. I'm sitting right here by the door. I took a chair, I put it there, and he's trying to be the manager. Go do the access, you know, be seen. You know, we, we might walk out of here with a deal or whatever. Right. I start to count down T minus 59, 58. 50, so he walks away frustrated. Um, Justin Buster Rhymes walks in the door. Yeah. So I'm trying to hide. He's the like, you know, how, you know how much energy 
Buster Rhymes is? He's a lot. He don't even say nothing. He causes a scene. <laughs> yeah. Yo, ladies and gentlemen, stand up. He makes me stand. This is hip-hop in personification, the embodiment of hip-hop. And Buster's like, they didn't just change music. They changed everything the way we walk. Like, he just goes into a whole thing, and he kissing on me. I love you, me. Like, that's Buster. So he walks away. I'm like, damn. Oh, I'm glad that's over. This is, this is funny. True story, though. Yeah. Stevie Wonder walks in, and this is always oh, this is my stand-up thing. Stevie Wonder walks in, but he doesn't see me. <laughs> Why his, not? His, his assistant sees me. <laughs> Stevie Wonder walks in, he don't see me. Yeah. His assistant sees me, right. and the assistant, his his uh, assistant, see, got that look like oh shit, DMC. So assistant literally. <laughs> turns Stevie. Yeah. Yo, Stevie's DMC's over here. Like like that, and I see him do it, and he comes over, and Stevie's just the coolest, you know, cat with something, I love you, got this and that, yeah. you guys are phenomenal, and I'm sitting there wanting to kill myself, just wanting to get, so I'm sitting there, and I'm going, yo, DC, that's another reason why life could be all right, even Stevie Wonder. Even Stevie Wonder you. loves you. So I get a picture with Stevie and the assistant, yo, can I get one, D? Yo, Stevie, can I get, yeah, sure, so he walks away. <laughs> Alicia Keys comes in. She sees me, so she she never sees you me. You were in the wrong now, spot if you didn't yeah, want to be seen. Yeah, a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding That's behind the, the plant. Thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But then I, I was thinking, but the bathroom is worse because then you see her, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I said, next time what I'm going to do, it was it was at the Beverly Hills, I'm going to just go into the lobby, mm. but then I can't do that because then everyone's going to see me. Because mm. his was funny. It's funny that she said that. <laughs> the thing that everything went wrong, I might have got over. It's funny you bring this up. But Eric tells me wear my DMC hat, not my Kango, wear my black run DMC hat. Mm -hmm. And I said, why do you want me to do that? He said, because we're going to definitely get in. So when we was coming up to the door, it's a million people out there. The bouncers is wanting to fight everybody. This is a true story. So we in the back of about 300 people. One of the big black bouncers sees the hat. Mm. Motherfuckers move to the, the Red Sea party. Mm. Come on, DMC. And Eric was smart. Eric's walking. <laughs> we walked right in about it. Didn't even get I didn't, the, the hat. If I didn't wear the hat, they would have might have looked at the I'd have to go over the table for the guest list. Yeah. Mm. They saw the hat. Hey DMC, how you do? So I got in. So Alicia Keys comes and she says, Oh, oh, I know Russell. I always see Run. I never see you. It's an honor to, you know, to meet you or whatever, whatever. And I and I'm just hating on everything. You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting there. This, I put this in the book. It's bad. It was like Alicia Keys. I hope the fucking piano slams down on her fingers and crushes her. <laughs> See, that's bad. But it's amazing. That, admit, it's amazing that you admit those kind of thoughts you have that to. happen. No, you, you have to. Therapy. It, was, it was bad, and she's showing love, so she walks away. Mm. What happens next? <gasps> that lady who made that song. Sarah. I've been listening to. I knew <laughs> of her, but I ain't know her. She walks in. And she sees me. She's run DMC. It's tricky to rock around, rock around. That's right on time. So it's I'm tricky. on mine. I'm like, CD, even Sarah McLaughlin, that's a good reason to stay alive. Yo, go up there and tell her what her record did. No, 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 no. D, get off your ass. Go over there and just tell her what your record did. All right. So I walk over to her. And she's like, walk this way. I love that. She's doing the B-boy stance. You know, whatever. Michael Jackson did it. Dick Clark did it. She's hitting the B-boy stance and stuff like that. So I, I walk over there. And I'm like, Miss McLaughlin, I just want to tell you the name of the song is Angel. People say you're Angel. You sound like an Angel, but you're not an Angel to me. You're God to me. Every day from the last year, I listen to that record. It's the only thing that's keeping me alive. And I just give her this rant. I finish. So she's looking at me like, 
Okay, I just wanted to say hi to your ass. <laughs> but then she says, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Mm. Shakes my hand and walks away. I leave the party. Three years go by. I'm at a point where I can't live like this no more. So you no. wait, three years from that point, you were yeah. still struggling? Yeah, yeah. That, you still negotiating? Yeah, should yeah. I live? Should I live? Yeah, and then, you That's know, heavy, now, it's very heavy. heavy. Yeah, I got, heavy. I got to, the Sarah McLachlan record is there, but I got building a mystery. I got the new album, so that's keeping me alive. I started really um, getting into, um, I started really getting into Pink Floyd Mm. at this time. There was just something about the sound, the album Dark Side of the Moon. It was just something about us and them that became hypnotic for me. Us, 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 and them, and then that beat was just mm, killer production. That's where I was at at that, but then the void became so so painful for me that um i didn't want to live no more so when i was getting ready to to figure out how i'm gonna kill myself i go um daryl you have to leave daryl you have to leave people know the dm people know the dmc thing but they don't know daryl so if you leave this earth you're gonna to have to tell the world about Daryl. Mm. So I got him up with this idea, if I kill myself, I'm gonna write a book so I could do this. This was the first book that I wrote, which led to the revelation that I'm about to go to with the adoption thing. I said, I wanted to open a book. Yo, what's up world? I'm Daryl McDaniels, you know me, the third member from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover of Rolling Stone, first with the sneaker deals. Everything that hip hop is doing, they say it's because of me running Jay. But I'm really just Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. Um, I'm no different from any other kid in the world. And I was born May 31st, 1964. Oh, I know my birthday, but to make it more interesting for the reader, I need some details. So I called my mom's up. I didn't say, Mom, I'm about to kill myself. I need, because she would have lost it. I said, Mom, I'm writing this book. I want to know three things um, about my birthday to make it more interesting for the reader. How much did I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? She told me those three things. I love you. I love you. Bye. I hung up the phone. I'm getting it ready. Um, what was the guy named uh, Herring? He was a writer for USA Today. Whatever. Keith Herring? No, Keith Herring's the artist. He's the artist. It wasn't Keith Herring. But it was the other guy, Mr. Herring. But make a long story short, an hour goes by. My mother calls back with my father. Wow. Hey, son. Hey, dad. What's going on? Son, we have something else to tell you. <laughs> Now, I'm a suicidal wreck, spiritual, emotional wreck. They hit me with, um, we have something else to tell you. Okay, what is it? You was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye. <laughs> they really hung up? No, that's wild. You was a month old when they, because what had happened was I called my mother, asked for that. She immediately hang, hung up the phone after 35 on this year. Ran to my father and said, Byford, he's asking right now. We have to tell him. Wow. So my father was like, yeah, we got to tell him now. And my brother said, if that would have never happened, they would have never told me. I, they they would have passed away and it had been one of those things with me and my brother cleaning out the papers. Fine. Then. And I thought, what's, what's this? Oh, D, we, nobody told you. And my whole family knew. Yeah. All my cousins knew. It was a secret that they was keeping from me. But That's- so that re- revelation... I wonder if that was, that must have, like when your whole life is built on a gaslight, basically, like when you don't know the true nature, origin of your life, but your soul does know, that's a weird foundation to build your whole life on. Son of Bifrey, that was me. I had no idea I wasn't theirs, but 
later on in therapy, my, my therapist said that was your spirit claiming who you were. Right. That's who you are. Spiford and Banajor. My thing was the void was there's a whole part of me I didn't know about. You didn't about. know about. Right. It wasn't that something was wrong with me. Right. Like, what is this? I don't know. It was the whole thing about it was identity. That's yes, right. I'm I'm DMC. I'm the microphone master. Um, I'm I'm son of Byford. Ben is my mother. Alpha's my brother. Runs my. But the fact that I was adopted foster kid was my mystery. Right. So all of those feelings, it was almost like life. It was almost like Zeus said, "Go down there and tell him don't jump because he doesn't know who he is." It's like Superman. Um, Clark, sit down. We have to tell you something. Clark, superhero said, "You're not really from here." We felt. I'm it's up. so trippy too the way you manifested that to that revelation too like it was just driven by this sort of like suicidal vibe and then to write it down like here's my origin and then to call your mom and be like hey what's there's some part of you that knew that prodded them you need to fucking tell me what's yeah. up that's that's the powerful shit. that's powerful right. oh for sure yeah. For sure. And then and, and and right after that call, as traumatic, the heartbreaking thing is, what do you mean? I'm Pyfrit. Like that they gave me something else. That means there's another motherfucker. What like uh, that was hard to fathom, but then a peace came over me because I'm DMC, I'm the king of rock, there's none higher, microphone mass, son of Pyfrit, and I'm the missing piece of the puzzle. I'm adopted. Mm. But now there's emotions dealing with that because now once that was complete and the struggle of understanding your life and to me it never ends because now i got to deal with why why my birth mother give up who is my birth who's my birth father what does me what is so now yeah but at least now you're on the right the track at least now you're dealing from a your a foundation of the truth right so now the truth hurts yeah <laughs> because <laughs> it does hurt i didn't know what to do yeah my wife was like, how are you? I'm like, I'm okay. How are you? How are you? So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. Go talk about this. Go talk. like you. I didn't know you could get help. It's okay to talk. Go talk. I didn't know none of that. So immediately, because of that revelation, it hurt me so bad, I started drinking again. Mm. And now, this time, it's not um, old English. and um, It's not Bacardi and Coke and vodka and Coke. It's Hennessy. <laughs> And, and Cavassier and Martelli, these new liquors that all everybody's celebrating. And now I'm drinking 24 hours, seven days a week. Drinking, drinking. Now the cat's out the bag. And my wife, she's like, we're not just telling you not to drink because it's not cool. Motherfucker, that's my wife. Motherfucker, mm. you can't, you have pe can't pancreatitis. Right. Subconsciously, I don't have to shoot myself. I don't have to poison myself. I don't have to j um, jump. I can drink this and just fall away from all of this. Do you think it was residual anger for them waiting so long to tell yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I think so. Of course, I didn't know that until I, I met other adoptees. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah. What the fuck do you mean? Then all my cousins. This was crazy. After they tell me that, it's funny. They hung up. Call them back. I can see my mother about come. Are you all right? They cut after that. They call back. Okay. You're all right. Explain to me. We think that you're Dominican, and, and your, your your mother was living in Hamilton Heights up in Washington Heights in Harlem. We think that you're Dominican. All the, so imagine that I'm, I'm adopted. This and that. Bye for the band. Hey, mom might be fucking Dominican. So all of these emotions is coming through me, and I didn't know what to do. So Did you ask them? Hey, what took you so long to? No, tell no, me? no, you no. Didn't. 
And the sad part about it, I never got to ask them that because they passed. I'm before sorry. Before I had that conversation. Yeah. But it, it was just all of this why, 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 why. And then now, the void is in there. So now everywhere after that is, oh, shit, I'm fucking adopted. So here's the other problem. Now everywhere I go, we still traveling on every flight, every store. That could be my mother. Imagine living like that. Right. <laughs> It's funny not being sure. And I love my wife is is the coolest because when my mother and father said, we think you might be Dominican, they only knew that because my family was from Washington Heights up there. (laughs) They put two and two together. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They didn't didn't get to meet my birth mother when she was 18. She just knew where she was living. She had a funny name and stuff like that. So my stupid ass, I go around and get shirts. Yo soy Latino. I tell Eric and my publicist, yo, who who's the number one Dominican artist in the Dominican Republic? Um, I forgot the name that they said. Get him because I'm making an album with him. I'm doing a Dominican <laughs> cook- cookbook. You were going full on. Yeah. That is so, so wild. No, she was, yeah. uh, my wife says, Daryl, don't you think you should wait? <laughs> nah, nah, I'm biting and banning. They know what they talking about. Mama. So I ran with this whole Dominican, Dominican thing. And it, it's all about identity. Yeah. Now, here's the funny <laughs> thing about that. I'm walking down Broadway here in the city um, right after my f- mother and father re- reveals that. And this guy from um, um, a Latino ma- Latin, La- Latino magazine, I forgot the name of it. He comes up to me and it's like, yo, DMC, man, um, here's my card. I would love to do an interview with you. You know, um, we, can, we can do it right now. True story. So he's really like, so we go up and he's asking, yeah, I just found out that I'm Dominican. I'll give him this, this, this. We do this extensive, you know, run DMC and me about being adopted and I'm Dominican. And um, I tell him, um, I ran into Fat Joe and I ran into Daddy Yankee. And um, Fat Joe was like, yo, what? DMC's one of us. Yo, we're going to sit like, it went far. Right. Daddy Yankee was like, yo, man, I got to not contact. We're going to make you the Grand Marshal of the Dominican Day the Parade next year. Done. <laughs> so now I'm doing this interview, right? So everything is coming out. My wife's telling me, don't, don't you think you should wait? Don't She's you think like, you should wait? She's like, hit the brakes. <laughs> nah, so I'm running with all this stuff. I'm all in. So fast forward, you know, I'm good now. Because I know what I, I'm still drinking now. And my wife's telling me, mother, she said this. I said, I'm drinking because I'm celebrating my newfound identity. Mm. She said, and I'll never forget her word. She said, motherfucker, you're drinking again because you can't handle the fact that you just found out you was adopted. Ooh. Right to the core. Right. Like, Truth bomb. Yep, standing there with the alcohol. <laughs> Damn, she's right. Mm. Now, here's what's crazy. I know she right. That makes you drink more. Because... Mm. Now you got this other emotion to deal with. So make a long story short, what happened after that, this is going on. And then um, Eric takes me to L.A. to because um, him and Tracy wanted to keep me busy, like keep him like keep him moving and stuff. Hopefully he'll be all right. So he takes me to um, 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 go for a part in a movie. Now, I don't want to act. I just want to rhyme and make comic books. But he's like, no, this would be good for you. Some good money, whatever. So we go meet with this agent dude. So we go into L.A. and we, we have to meet him with the, age, the agent guy. And, uh, you know, he's talking to Eric. Eric's doing his management thing. So now after that, it's time for the agent to talk directly to me. So during the whole time of this thing, I'm sitting at Eric's here talking to the guy. I'm not even in the room. I'm going, I'm just adopted. 
this and that. Like that's my favorite. Upset, you're obsessed. Yeah. All I can think about is I'm finding out adopting her. Everybody that's coming in the room. Damn, she looks like me. I look like that's when I so the agent turns to me and he finds say, Okay, D, what, all right, what the, let me talk to D directly. You know, what's up with you? I always see Run, I always see Russell, I see Run's house and his family and stuff like that. What's up with you? And he asked me that. Something in me says, motherfucker, you want to know what's up with me? Well, I just found out that I was adopted at age 35 and everybody knew and this and then I hit him with that. And he's like, mm. but then he goes, I think there's somebody that you should meet. A week earlier, Sheila Jaffe, who's one of the biggest casting directors in Hollywood. We've seen her name a lot. Yeah, she cast Sopranos. Woody, Woody Allen's t stuff, right? No, um, Mark Wahlberg, John okay. Travolta, Sopranos and Entourage, yeah. that just does it. That's she's a lot, she's yeah. behind it. She got Emmys and all that. A week earlier, she was in his office doing Hollywood business, but at the end, he saw that she was down and he asked her what was going on. She had been doing searches for her birth mother. Wow. Her birth, because she's um, adopted too. That's interesting. So um, she was doing these searches. She did three searches, dead ends, no direct hits of it. So he said, I think you, you know, for what it's worth, I think you should meet. Yeah, I'll meet her. Because now. <laughs> What, another adopted person? Right. So a month later, I fly back to L.A. And me and Sheila, we just sit down and um, she, we sit down. We just talk. It was no, we just talk. I told her how I found out. She told me how she found out. She was 14 years old and it was a rite of passage growing up in the Bronx where the neighborhood bully girl, Sally, whips your ass. So her turn to get her ass whipped. But this particular day, Sally really wanted to hurt Sheila. So Sally was like, Sheila, before I whip your ass, I just want you to know that your parents really don't love you because you're not really theirs. Wow. Imagine hearing that at 14 years old. So Sheila said, when Sally said that to her, Sheila didn't get mad at Sally. Sheila immediately turned to her best friend and says, Lisa, did you know? <laughs> Lisa busts up. Yes, the whole neighborhood knows. How did so, everybody in the neighborhood know and not her? Because they told her not to tell her. Uh same thing with me. Yeah, I have, All my cousins were yeah. told when we go over Daryl's house, yeah. what's the rule, kids? Nobody at Daryl, nowhere. They didn't want the secret. It's a while. I, I, I'm not adopted, but I found out when I was 26 that I have a half brother that I never knew about. Same, similar thing. Same, like, well, we, got like we don't want to tell you, but we don't have to tell you this. And it was just like, I'm, you know, like everybody else knows. Wow. It's like one of those things Why where you're just like, like what? what the fuck? Right, no, right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. So you can relate to me and Sheila. I yeah. mean, everybody way, has yeah. some similar to that. So make the long story short, I got to meet Sheila. I didn't feel alone no more. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, But I'm still drinking. That was helpful. It was like the Sarah McLachlan record. When I was around Sheila, it was good. Crap, I didn't yeah. need nothing else. But then when I'm back on my own, you know, your thoughts and whatever. So what had happened was at the end of that meeting, she says, oh, by the way, Daryl, once a month, Mark Wahlberg gives us his offices and we have adoption meetings. Wow. Like, What's that about? She said, a bunch of us adoptees get together and we just go in a room and talk. Mm. Next month, set change. I'm in L.A. And it's a adopted lady from England, adopted you lady fly from in Vienna. For it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. All the way in. It, it was just beautiful <laughs> being around other adopted people. Made me feel not alone again. That's beautiful. So that was the first. And it, it was just beautiful. We just talk about what we feel. We laugh, joke, anger. There was the ones that would go, you didn't feel a little mad when they didn't do, when because Byford and Banner didn't tell you. So I'm trying to get Byford and Banner all the love. Nah, son of Byford, brother. They were instigators. You know, deep down, yeah, I hated them for fucking like. Mm. So it was truthful, and you know what I'm saying. And then in the second meeting, it got to D. Um, aren't you curious about your birth? Nope. 
Uh-uh, y'all know the record. I'll play it for you right now. Son of Bifred, brother of Al. Banner's my mother, runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those burgers are Ronald's. I ran <laughs> down my family tree. My mother, my father, my brother, and me. That's all it is. Wow. Yeah, yeah, motherfucker. But deep down, and nope, nope, nope. So in the third meeting, once again, they wasn't going to let so it go. Were you flying back and forth every time the there meetings. was a meeting? Yeah. How so, long would you stay? Three days, I would do other meetings. It okay. gave me another reason to come to L- L.A. and yeah. stuff like that. That's so, cool. But it was beautiful that that was available for me. Yeah. So in the third meeting, it was finally, they weren't going to let it go. They was going to, I would have to just come let it loose. Aren't you curious? Yes, I want <laughs> <laughs> That's such a whole It'll be all of them rubbing you and isn't mm-hmm. it? So, you know, what do you do and stuff like that? Um, the the um, lady from England who was adopted, where the birth records were open. In England, you got free access to your birth records. New York just opened last year, but there's only 11, 12, 11, 13 or 11, 11 or 13 states in America where an adopted person has rights to their original birth certificate. Mm. So make a long story short, they're telling me, um, yo, you can go find your, 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 your parents, your birth parents. You want to do it? No, no, no. We'll help you. There was a lady, the English lady, she um, knew a lady named um, Pam Slayton who started a private eye agency just for adoptees who were doing their searches. Because mm. she found out she was adopted and there was no help for her. So she went and she got her master's degree and she opened up an adoption agency, private eye agency to help adoptees and she was successful. With it. So they said, we're going to you know, give you to Pam. So it was scary for me. Because now I'm like, what is Byford and Banner going to think? I don't want them to think, and I don't love us. I had all these emotions. So that was the thing that said, okay, D, you're going to do this? Yeah, it's almost like the feelings of like that you might be betraying somebody. No, all 100%. All you hit it right on the head. Betrayal. Yeah. That's why a and lot a of betrayal them betrayal do all, all the way around because it's a betrayal that you weren't told, too. And then now you're dealing with the a bet- right. it's so much betrayal Betray- going on. Right, exactly. So, yeah. right? Yep. The fucking lies. Yeah. What the fuck? Are you? Yeah. It's my truth. What the fuck you do? You didn't tell me to mm. treat me. You didn't tell me because you wanted me to feel normal. But by not telling me, you're not treating me normal. You, so there's no yeah. wins. So you were fully alienated, actually. It, it becomes the opposite. But a good thing happened. Yeah. In the midst of all that. You motherfucker, why didn't you tell me you should have told me? Don't be ashamed of me. All of this. Something in me say, D, this is going to be mind blowing for you. It was a good catalyst to me saying, I'm going to do this, y'all. I had to come back to the next meeting and say, okay, I'll do it. I'll meet with Pam and I'll go down that that unknown road. But first, let me go get sober. I said, mm. for me to do this, I got to go get sober. So um, I enrolled in um, 30 days to um, go to rehab. Leo Cohen, the big mogul, hip-hop mogul, Leo, did, did Russell's partner with Def Jam. He paid for me to go to um, Arizona to a rehab place that don't just get you off the liquor. They don't, you don't, they don't just sober you up and throw you back out. They sober you up, and when you're good to go, are you ready to rock out? No motherfucker sit your ass down. Now we're going to deal with those issues. Mm. It was a beautiful place. And um, How long did you go for? 30 days. I 30 went days. in from um, um, March 1st to March 30th, March 31st. I was in there 30 days. And it was just wonderful because the, the crazy thing about it is, um, well, this was funny. Um, no, I went in April. No, was it April? February, March. No, it was March. 
But um, when I knew that I was going, I stopped drinking. And this is why I said I've, I've always had this ability. I knew I was going. I wasn't going to drink until March 1st. Because that just defeats the purpose. I know, damn, in a month I'm going to go into rehab. Let me just stop now. And I was able to do that. That's interesting. Like, why do you think culture? you were ready to stop right at that point? Because enough truth was revealed? and you... Right, yeah. It wasn't enough. I mean, what it was, I think it was, I had to, inside myself, I had to resolve in within myself that I can't hide and lie anymore. I think that's what it was. So, you know, I'm going to just stop drinking. So, make a long story short, I go into um, Sierra Tucson was the place. And you get in the intake room is the first place that you go. So I'm in there. The guy next to me is out, and the other person next to me is in the on in a um, straitjacket. Mm. So the doctor walks in with the pad. He look. I can't speak to him yet. This guy's in the straitjacket. I guess I'll speak to you. So first thing he asked me was, "When was your last? What are you here for?" I said, "Alcohol." He said, "When was your last drink?" I was like, "A month ago." He looks up. It's a month ago. He said, "You don't need to be in here. You can move on to the second step." So the second step was, they give you um, you got to. You took courses. You took a scientific, spiritual, um, 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 society course. And it was basically teach you about dopamine, LSD. They teach you about addiction, what everything. Resetting teach you about how dopamine. your brain works and all yeah. of that. So you have to finish all all nine courses. You got to finish before you get discharged. Mm. I finished all of mine in a week. And because the beautiful thing that happened with me is this. Because now I'm open. When you first day in class was they could put all the um, characteristics of an addictive person personality on the board. I realized that was all of them. Yeah, <laughs> I realized. That. So once I get they said all this the is best gonna, people are the this, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized that they said you're going to do good here because I'm not fronting like you yeah. know that I me. Mean? So make a long story short, I went to the rehab and I got out of rehab and I came home and um, we started to search for my birth mother mm. and I found her in Staten Island. Wow. Found two brothers and a sister I didn't know I had. And um, they were always right next door to me. That's crazy. Now, here's the crazy part real quick. I went to Rice High School on 124th Street and Lenox Avenue in Harlem. Mm. I grew up in Hollis, Queens. I could have went to Andrew Jackson, Francis Lewis Boulevard, Bayside, August Martin, all the Queens high schools. I took three trains and two buses to go for four years to go to Rice High School, 124th Street and Lenox Avenue, right around this corner from the Apollo. The kids in the Bronx and Harlem would always ask me, yo, D, why the hell do you come all the way here to go to high school when you could go to Andrew Jackson or August Martin or Francis Lewis? So I'm thinking, I don't know, I was a good student. I was able to get in. It was an all-boys Catholic high school. You had to have good grades to get in. So I thought that was what I had no idea I was drawn to a place where on 139th Street, right down Lenox Avenue, is where I was born at. Wow. But his was deeper. When I got to Goosebumps. Rice High School, <laughs> yeah. It's just wild, man. When it I got really to Rice, yeah, it's crazy. It's going it's, it's to make the best movie ever. Yeah. When I got to Rice High School, I discovered all of the hip-hop before rappers delight. So previous, prior to me coming to Rice High School, when I was in my basement, I was Easy D. 
They used to call me Easy D because I rapped on a mic so easily. Memo, here we go, here we go. I said that rhyme, but mm. now they call me DMC. I became DMC when I got to Rice. I became DMC when I got back to the place I originally was from. I was born in Harlem, but raised in Hollis. So when I was in Hollis, I was just going through the motions. When I got to Rice High School, what had happened was there was this kid named Terrence Washington, and he would come to school at the end of every school week for four years. He would have a the cassette tape carrier, mm-hmm. and he would have all of these tapes of Melly Mel, 1978, um, Curtis Blow, 1977, all these tapes before recorded hip-hop. So I was like, what? And I would listen to those tapes, and on, and on the live performances, the kids were doing what me and Run started to do when we made records. They wasn't just doing message records and and throw your hands. They was telling stories about, you know, we go to McDonald's and we eat our food. I wake up in the morning and I go to school. I put my sneakers on and it was smile. And it, 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 it was all of this happiness and brightness coming from these children who you perceived that had nothing. Mm. And I'll never forget that. I was like, wow, I really came to Rice High School to have my training. It was like, I went away. You know how the superhero goes away, Batman goes away for Training, three months? Yeah, with Ra's yeah. al Ghul. So, yeah, I went away for this trip with Ra's al Ghul, exactly like the arrow. I went away for training and then didn't know what was going on. So I'm writing all these rhymes. It was because of, um, I heard the Cold Crush 4 and, and Stan Lee with the, with, 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 with the adjective things. The Cold Crush 4, it was Grandmaster Kaz. It was uh, Jerry D. Lewis. It was Easy A.D. and the Almighty K.G. That's some superhero shit to Almighty. Yeah. But what they would do to make it easier for you to tell them who they were, Grandmaster Cass, the initials of my name are GMC. You can search all your life, but you'll never see a higher-powered body rocker in the galaxy. Um, the first and ever last. Um, the Grandmaster Cass. Well, hell, the initials of my name are JDL. I want to go to heaven before I go to hell, and I'll be pushing more power than a Duracell. Better than the oldest and the newest. What's your name? My name is Jerry D. Lewis. Well, hell, the initials of my name are EAD. The baddest thing to hit New York since OE, and I can rap upon a mic and for the for, for the galaxy, um, the, um, 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 the initials of my name are AKG. So they took their initials. The, these MCs <laughs> were already doing what I was doing in my basement. Right. So now I'm not Easy D no more. I'm the DMC. Twelfth grade, I write the rhyme, and then the reason why I'm saying this is it's all about preparation yeah opportunity is being prepared forming your identity so i write this rhyme for um me making it to st john's university in june i was a class of 82 june july august i get a phone call from joseph simmons who we grew up went to the same school never really hung out we started hanging out in 11th and 12th grade so he discovered that i can write rhymes and i can dj but he was really like, I used to tell Joe, I don't do this. You do this. Right. You and Curtis blowing more. Don't put me in this category. I'm doing it. This is fun for me. Yeah. It's make believe for me. But he saw, yo, this kid, Daryl. So when, he, when Russell let him make the record, the phone rings in August. Yo, Daryl, remember four years ago I said, if I ever make a record, you're going to be in my band. <laughs> 
get your rhyme book. We're going to the studio. We went to the studio in August of 82, and we did this like that in Sucker MCs. Wow. <laughs> so if you listen to Sucker MCs, run rhymes three times because it was his record alone. Mm. After he came out, he said, yo, D, I need you to, I need to prove to my brother Russell that you can really write. Russell knew I was a smart kid and I could write. He didn't think I was a performer. I didn't think I was a performer either. Mm. So Russell let me do It's Like That and that's the way it unemployment at a people. He let me do that with Run because I wrote it. But the, what, he what he originally was going to do was I did the record in the studio, but it was going to be run and other people performing it on the road, like the mm, early disco records. Right. Remember, they would have the fat black lady sing the song and then put the beautiful model up there just to lip sync to it. Yeah. Russell was going to do that with me because to Russell, I'm just, this is Daryl, your knucklehead friend. Right. You can't be, he's <laughs> not going to be on stage, he's going to ruin me. So he let me do it like that. And then Run had this whole circumcision. That's why he rhymed so long. So at the end of the recording session, Run says, D, go in there and say a rhyme. And I'm like, I don't know. You want to give me a trailer? He's like, motherfucker, just go in there and say your new, newest <laughs> rhyme. So my newest rhyme was my St. John's rhyme. So he passed me the mic. It's DMC, if you're, this is so prophetic. DMC, if you're ready. The people rocking steady. You're driving big cars. Remember Getty Gas Station? Get mm. your gas from Getty. Take them on a ride. Now, I could have said any rhyme. Hey, my name is Daryl, and I'm buying bad. I came with, I'm DMC, and the place to be, I go to St. John's University. And since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge. After 12th grade, I went straight to college. I, I was lighter when I was a kid. It's mm. crazy. Oh, I look back at my high school year, but I was white. Mm. Just a little white kid. And you're a white boy, like the black kids in my neighborhood. You said, white boy, watch this. They smacked me on my cheek to see it turn red. So wow. I was, I'm light-skinned. I live in Queens, and I love eating chicken and I just did this rhyme of who I was at that time. When that record dropped, they had the whole world singing those songs. That's amazing. That's crazy. So that began to write. If I was able, I am. I'm able to do that now, and everything falls in place. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not trying. Before I was pretending to be the king of rock. Right. Now I really am the king of rock. Yeah. So. My story, yeah, my, yeah my, my, my story isn't just my story, I'm realizing. It's everybody's story. It's yeah. the doctor's story. It's the UPS driver's story. It's the teacher's story. It's the, 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 the plumber's story. I'm no different from all of these people out here. And I knew that my presence was just much, much bigger than me bragging to y'all about how good I am on the mic. Now I realize, okay, it all makes sense now. It wasn't, it wasn't meant for me to find out because if my mother and father would have told me, yo, you're adopting when I was 11, I'd have probably ran away or something. Mm. Like, I'd have probably had worse problems than I did. Who knows? But it had to happen that way. And fortunately, um, I had to write people around me to help me through the journey. Yeah. Everybody, people are put here to get you where you're supposed to go. Mm. What about now? Are you in a good place now? Like in yeah, terms Brent. of mental space? Like what do you do yes. to keep your to keep your you are such a light to be with. It's a um, it's a joy to yeah, sit with you and, and, and hear you speak. I just act. I mean, I'm 56 now. I just act like I I'm 12. Right. I don't know how to describe. It. I, I wake up and act like do what I you, do. I'm a writer. Rhyme. You I'm gonna exercise go to studio. a lot, right? I go to the gym. Yeah, that's that's see that's where the OCD and and um 
I, I was I was um, excessiveness. <laughs> so at least it's it not drinking in, the, in those realms, right? At least it was funny when I was in rehab. You only get an hour to exercise every day, and I'm in there. No, I need two. I like to do cardio for an yeah. hour and do my weights for an hour. at least. It was like you got to pick one or the other. Mm. Damn. But his was crazy. This was messed up. And you got to be honest about when you know something is excessive or wrong because then you won't be able to fix it. So I got around that. How I got around that was I usually do elliptical at the time or ride the bike. I did the treadmill. So I was like, damn, this is me because I, I can't do weights and cardio at the same time. So I started doing only weights during my hour during the daytime. And this is, this is bad. This is obsessive. I would get up 5 in the morning because most of the, the the females that was in my rehab, they would get up and run the track. And I never ran a day in my life. So I got up three days in the morning and I ran. Now, I didn't train for it. I didn't move into it. I went out there and I ran three days for an hour. By the third day, it was wheeling me to my sessions in <laughs> yeah. wheelchair. Yeah. Running can do that. <laughs> oh, no. Because it, it moves muscles that I never were. So yeah. I said, okay, that shit is done with it. I'm just stick to the weights. And then I got to the point where half hour weights, half hour treadmill. Yeah. So everything um started to work out. So now my thing is this. I do what I feel good about. Everything in life is about feeling. Mm. And a lot of us do stuff that we don't feel good about. Mm. And sometimes, you know, I, I'd rather wait. That's your priority. How does this make me feel? Like you put right. yourself first now. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Plain and simple. And I got to understand. then you can be there for other people. Right. Truly show up for right. other people. Exactly. And I got to understand if I'm going to do this, I got to be open and allow those people to do what they do. Because mm. at first I was playing by everybody else's rules. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, the, the, the joke is it's um, compromise. Mm. It was compromise. Compromise is bad when you don't get nothing out of it. Yeah. And, so. and that's what happens. So now it's just like, I just, you know, wait to see what happens. And, you know, Billy Morrison from Billy Idol's man will come and say, yo, come do a couple of songs with me, mate. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not the fact that I'm getting paid. It's that I could get out there and do what Billy Idol does. Yeah. I'm pretending. Yeah. Even though I'm out there, I'm doing King. They do my records, King of Rock. I'm actually like I'm fucking Billy Idol. Make, I got this old band behind me. Make believe. Make believe and it will come true. Remember the toy train thing you started out with? It reminded me of Walt Disney because he became the king of like animation and all that with like Fantasia yes. and all that. Then he like went it disappeared into his like estate and just worked on this toy model train. For like three years, Salvador Dali came and, and, and visited. Oh, yeah, I've seen that picture. And, and, yeah, and he yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. this train is like a work of art. Anyway, that ended up becoming Walt Disney World. And when, you know, like, and at first people were like, why is this guy just like went from like being the Jimi Hendrix of animation, basically, oh, really? to like fucking around with a toy train? But then he manifested Walt right, Disney. Right. He was just playing and he was, pretending and make, making believe he was dexter, dexter yeah. Did, could turn that city into real mm. that's when i I'm, and it's funny you said that. i got a kid's book coming out 
That's right. What, what's thing. now? What's that one? It's called Daryl's Dream, mm-hmm. and uh, it's for K to five. Okay, we gotta go. Yeah. Okay. It's for K to five. It's, it'll be out this He's year. It's called. It's called. Late, yep. Yeah. It's called Daryl's Dream, and um, it's for K to five kids. Basically, it's about little Daryl trying to figure out what he wants to be, and he's. It's, it's exactly what we all talk. Right. Little Daryl gets teased and bullied about the bullies about trying to be, um, in the in the talent contest. Oh, you're gonna be in the corny talent contest. So little Daryl wants to say his poem in the little talent yeah. contest. So the so-called cool kids, they start heckling him and teasing him. So he rips up his poem and he takes his name off the list. But now he feels bad about it. So he goes home and he's crying with his mommy. Mommy, what would you do if you wanted to do something but then you didn't do it because all the other kids didn't think it was cool? And she says, well, so that little Daryl, you just have to do what makes you feel good and not worry about anybody else. So he goes to sleep, and in, this, in a dream, in a dream he had, has a dream. He's rolling with the bullies. The school is respecting him, and he's beating everybody up. But in the dream, he doesn't feel right about that. So he says, "No, no, I don't want to be that." So in a dream, he becomes um, a sports car. So he's a sports car, and everybody in the world is looking. Oh, this is a beautiful sports car. Then he hears a noise. It's a helicopter. It's always gonna be something the beaches, so they don't care about the sports car because now everybody loving a helicopter. So mm. he feels like I don't want to be that no more. So then he goes, um, he goes into a recording studio, and he sees all the the recording stuff and all the instruments and stuff like that. And the DJ turntables, and he says, "Yo, I just want to express myself." So he wakes up the next morning, he runs back to school, and he puts his name on the list. I'm back on a talent contest. There the talent contest comes and stuff like that. The bullies see him. He was waiting for him to come backstage. They come backstage. They pushing him around. Oh, you gonna do this? You sucker! This and that. Boom! So they take his poem and they rip it up. Mm. So now and they walk away laughing. He's sitting there and he gets called Daryl. You're up next. So it's either not do it or just. So then he realizes everything that he needs is inside of him. Mm. So he goes out there and he spits this poem and he gets a standing ovation at the end of the event. One of the biggest bullies in the crowd comes up to him and says, yo, Daryl, man, you're really good with that poetry stuff. Can you teach me? Mm. And Daryl says, yeah, okay, I'll teach you. But here's, um, um, he says, can you teach me? I want to be just like you. He said, no, I'll teach you, but on, on, uh, this, is, this is what I want from you. He says, what do you mean? I'll teach you, but you got to be you. Wow. And then they become friends. I love yeah, that. So it's for the little kids to see. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. <sighs> That's great, man. That's a good way to end it too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Man, thank you for coming. Yeah, it's, been, it's really been an honor. Thank you. You know, so really appreciate it. Um you gotta make that beat. <laughs> I'm gonna make that beat. And what and that song is uh it's like what it's like oh, I am this, I am that. I'll make uh, Yeah, I'll get you the audio. Yeah, give me the audio of that little part and then uh and start from there. That's yeah, crazy. we'll start from there. I'm gonna do it. Thank you. Thank oh, you, yeah. Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you, Eric. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.